and Dan and I like won't talk to each other about stuff before the episode in a lot of cases, just because, uh, you know, like when we're doing the Battletron review, some of the things we want to be a, a, like a genuine reaction between the two of us. Like we'll talk about like what we want the structure to be, but we rarely talk about like the contents of, uh, you know, some specific subject matter before we, we get going. So like when we're in that room, you know, we, we start to talk about that a little bit. And we start getting going, and then sometimes that's where we miss the uh, the button push. Because uh, his his wife, who's our secret third host, <laughs> is always just in the room hanging out. Uh, and she'll look at us, she's like, you're just going to talk about this in ten minutes. Just turn on the microphone. Well, that's how you get your cold opens, man. Like, that's the secret. I know a lot of people like to do like they'll take a, they'll uh, they'll do like a teaser thing where they'll take a clip from later on in the show that's like you know just like the absolute like you know slam dunk hot take of the night and then you know put that in the front so like oh, this is the stuff you're gonna hear. I've been cheating where we do this right now. This is how the sausage is made, everyone. Uh, where we do this, we just banter and then. Yeah, we, we were just talking and you pressed I'm going live and then you kept your then like you finished your sentence yep yep this is this is my new this is my secret super secret technique I'm even editing where the chat bracket shows up like mid stream <laughs> all my stuff is different now that I changed everything um all right see so look at that like kickers there uh hey GM Kenny's there. Chat gang showing up, editing chat live. That's right, we do it live around here. The uh, the fuck it, we'll do it live technique of podcasting. Doing it live. So <laughs> so doing it live um, was one of my, uh, so I did club gymnastics in college, and that was one of our team's kind of mantras because it was basically uh, a group of people who were in the midst of a drinking problem who also did gymnastics. <laughs> Uh, and uh, so, like, a lot of times you would show up to meets on Saturday mornings because Friday nights, you know, the the ones who were 21 plus were out to the bars and the ones who weren't were just, you know, getting drunk in the hotel room. Uh, and so you'd have guys who just, like, roll into the meet, you know, just dead. You're like, aren't you going to warm up? And they're like, no, oh, man, we're just we're just going to do it live. Like, like, whatever may come from this. Like, uh, and... For those of you that don't know, that's a sport where you, like, want to be warmed up. You know, you want your muscles to be, like, ready to do the thing. Like, up here, your brain knows how to do all of it. Like, that's that's not the thing you have to be worried about. It's making sure that your body is ready for that. So, whatever I hear, look, it, we're doing it live. I picture my teammate Dan, who I had seen basically die the night before, uh, you know... <laughs> pull off his warm-ups and go out to the floor and be like, maybe today's the day that we call the ambulance. <laughs> Man, what a, see, there's, that's the cold open you want, everybody. That's, that's what you aspire for. I am, of course, the magical Mr. Mephisto, the most dangerous man in Age of Sigmar. So Geo popping off immediately with that 12-year Tier 1 sub streak. Thank years. you so much. I'm joined by show favorite kind of my unofficial co-host i think you've been on enough episodes the yeah, lord me, hey whoa yeah it's been it, a 
Bryce. It's been a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you might have the all-time record now because you were creeping up on Bryce before, and I think and uh, he hasn't been on for a couple shows now. So of course, uh, many of you know him as Brendan Melnick. Some of you may fear him as the Lord of Death. Uh, and uh, I'd like to add Lord of Darkness to the moniker now, too, because you've been painting Slaves of da- uh, slaves to Darkness. <laughs> I, only because I saw Dave Kerr's Knights of the Empty Throne list, and I looked at it and I went, my god, it's, it's beautiful. I, I must play it. And I had just purchased like a bunch of Slaves to Darkness models you know, at the end of 2020, because I, you know, I have an Archeon, and I was like, oh, you know, I need some Varengard, and we'll paint that up, and it'll be cool. And I saw the list, and I was like, I have most of that. Uh, I I should just try it, right? <laughs> and I tried it, and after the game, I went and ordered the rest of the models, and I was like, well, this is what we're doing, so. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Have you gotten to, have you gotten to like, uh, proxy it out and play, play it a little bit in some of the, some of the, the lab tech? Yeah. Yeah, I got a game against Dan where it was just a lot of bases, and then I got a game in against Dave where it was most of the models that I needed. So, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's a cool it's list. Good. I mean, that that's of course. Uh, uh, well, I guess you want to say what Knights of the Empty Throne is in case someone's not familiar with that, real quick. So, Knights of the Empty Throne is a Slaves of the Darkness uh, sub faction choice. Where there's not really any sub factions in Slaves of Darkness because you have to choose one of the different paths. Uh, and what this one is is if you don't take Archeon, you can have a you can have your units of Varengard be heroes. So this list revolves around a really cool idea of a unit of six Varengard, where you basically spend another, which in and of itself is 560 points. And then you spend another 500 and some odd points in buff pieces, where all you do is just pour, reroll saves, reroll hits to wound, uh, reroll, uh, you add plus one to save from the War Shrine, your command trait, your opponent can't retreat from you, and then you have your artifact, which lets you pile in from six inches. And you have a Chaos Lord who lets you pile in and fight twice for a command ability after you've done your pile in and fight twice for free ability. And it's just... It's just nuts. Uh, I have I have pulled off a full 25% of Dan's army in one combat phase one time with that six Varen guard. It's like, okay. I, we can get behind this. This uh, This will work. Right. Do. right. And of course you get to like you get to have maximum swagger because you have like two hundred dollars and six models just like <laughs> you're just you're just laying your wallet out on the table as you deploy. <laughs> well well I mean that's that's tons of bay of it now, you know. Anybody who's running that, it's like true. minimum purchase on that is like eight hundred bucks. Uh I I I I I made my peace with it. I, I knew the price hike was coming. When I saw Sons of Bahamut's price tag, I'm like, it's going to be a price hike. I finally made my piece, and I just had, like, cold sweats and a flashback to, like, how much I hate Vampires the price. Run. Oh, oh, yeah, that's going to be brutal. But, yeah, I, 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 I mean. I ain't looking forward to it, buddy. Oh, man. I, and I'm going to buy the whole range. Because I am. Um, I, I hope I've got enough on the shelf where 
there's there's only going to be some things I have to I have to pick up. You know, like you get a new kit of skeletons. I'm not going to replace all 120 skeletons or whatever it is. Right. Like, it's like you know we'll get a box. There'll be unit champions. You'll mix them in. Right. Uh, but. Oh. <laughs> yeah yeah right on right on well tonight's uh tonight's topic is actually a fun one we're going to be talking about uh essentially teaching battle plans and it's not too dissimilar from something you were kind of mentioning there at the cold open which is uh with uh, the sort of gymnastics that sort of and we lost him so i'll just keep talking uh it's not too dissimilar from something we were talking about at the cold open where you're essentially talking about like sort of like you know everything up in your head in terms of gymnastics and it's just kind of getting the body to put it all together. Uh, Age of Sigmar is a lot like, especially if you're going to go do a tournament, you know, like there's a lot, there's a little bit of that in Age of Sigmar. So we're going to, yeah, going to be exploring a little bit of that. And I want to catch up here on chat game because y'all have just been popping off. First thing I saw was Gypsy Danger apologizing for a tangent. Disgusting. Never apologize for tangents on Rantcast. <laughs> but has anyone had issues with tabletop simulators, specifically when highlighting a bunch of models? That's that's not a me question. Someone there in checking hopefully was able to answer that for you. I don't do the tabletop simulator thing. So Same. Uh, sounds like a job for Rocco. See if Rocco's around to come in and, and uh, maybe direct him back, uh, direct you at him. Uh, if you do a, a at Rocco, yo boy, with the underscores in between, uh, uh, just add him on Twitter. He'll he'll instantly have the answer for you. So, um, afternoon, yeah, afternoon, afternoon, good evening, good morning, everybody. Uh, sounds like TTS is ignoring the basis when grouping the models. You could try attaching the models to alternative. Blank basis with the link. Yeah, see, I don't even know what this is. This is it's just gibberish to me. Is this what I sound like when I talk about Age of Sigmar to strangers? Probably. <laughs> it's, it's what I sound like when I talk about darn near anything to anybody, and they go, uh-huh. <laughs> I recognize all of those things as words. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New camera. Uh, new angle. New angle, not a new camera. I've got a new desk set up, uh, uh, D6, so... Uh, a little bit a, a different angle, uh, different setup, a lot more space now. Uh, I am surrounded by all the things I love. A uh, little hobby desk to the side of me, uh, staging area here. Just just nice, nice new setup. I've never owned a new desk in my life. Uh, it's always been like a garage garage uh, sale desk or or like uh, the one you see on the side of the road and you're just like, oh yeah, that'll work. That's better than the one I currently have right size yeah <laughs> that's it's it's been my it's been my desk story my whole life there's the the time i had my computer you know multi-thousand dollar computer rig um you know just the amount of money i sunk into my computer rig sitting on a kitchen table the kitchen table was my desk for like three solid years just two monitors kitchen table <laughs> this is uh priorities right but uh i am an adult sure. now uh, it's, it's time that I own a new desk, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing. You're not wrong, Chris. Who buys desks? People just leave them on the side of the road. A hundred percent. The idea of purchasing a desk was weird to me, but Molly, Molly talked me into it. Soren popping off with five gift subs, bringing his total gift subs to 305. He is the, of course, the mad lad. Enjoy all those, uh, enjoy all those wonderful emotes, uh, designed by, by the Doc King, everybody. Um, especially be sure to spam Nagash in channels where people hate death. So, 
Real talk, Mr. Mephisto, send me a link for that desk. I really want it. All right, man, I'll get it. I'll get it to you after the show. Uh, Do you think that there are other podcasts that have like such a like a like this is clear? This is a death Homer chat. Like this is a <laughs> this is a death Homer podcast. Are there other shows that are like chaos or like destruction or order? I know, like I know, like Doom was definitely like ogres. A, I would I would classify as more of a, a destruction uh, show for for a while, but like like are, are there other shows that just Homer for Grand Alliances the way that yours does? I I'd say not the way I do. I think a lot of I think a lot of podcasters are known for like the armies they like or, or like gravitate towards, but I think most show hosts try to like pretend that they're that they're unbiased, you know? Still, they're like, oh yeah, I love Slanesh, but I like all the Arby's. And what I do is I try to, like, just, like, fully on be a sh- as big of a shameless homer as I possibly can be. But then, like, let people know it's okay to be a shameless homer for their thing along the way. And I think that's kind of, like, I think that's where my, like, particular brand of humor falls in. The closest one is probably Doom and Darkness, though. With with uh with Maw Tribes or the Mighty Guts, yeah. right? Like, because I because I think the exception comes in where your rant cast as a as a thing <laughs> came together because of one battle tome specifically, <laughs> right? Uh, which is which is like when you think about like the scope of all of the reasons to start like spending your time on something like this. One battle tome coming out is a really weird like, trigger point. Well, and then you you think I've I've eighty seven episodes in. That's we're approaching two years now of me doing this, right? Um, oh God, yeah. Well, like so, we're approaching two years of me doing this. I think oh, what August will be t- two years, so a year and a half. Like, and to have had that jump off point with like shameless homering for death, and then like keep it going i feel like i'm getting away with something i shouldn't be <laughs> like like i'm even so right now uh tonight's beverage is uh necro mango con so it's it's like instead of necronomicon it's a it's a it's a mead uh it's a mango mead with a black pepper uh added so really tasty but like i have i've always been a death homer you know so on and so forth I know I've gotten worse. Like, the show is just emboldening me. Like, I'm buying skulls for everything now. I'm like... It's 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 become... <laughs> it's become so much my identity now that, like, I'm gonna have a tattoo of Nagash on my body, for crying out loud. Like, it's just... It's these things... Uh, it's just escalating. Someone needs to stop me at some point. <laughs> Always be on brand. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Rant me, daddy. How's it going, Tomb King? <laughs> Tristan... <laughs> um yeah a coach was gets initially and then cities came out and and he's been more cities lately um yeah but that's one battle tome like yours is yours is a whole faction i get that like you're a little light on night haunt and flesh eater courts but you know, like your show goes from uh you know just kind of like wide range of topics and then october hits and you're just like Death Talking about the death factions. <laughs> yeah. Non-negotiable, everybody. <laughs> nope. Like, this is just what it's going to be until the sun burns out. Yep. Death is best. Well, I mean, I got to update people. 
Because, like, I just did a whole month of death. change. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. So, like, we're, we're, like, it's, you know, October is, like, the where are they now of, like, the death mm-hmm. faction. So, like, every time we just, we got to keep updating that. But I, I don't know. I think there's, I, I mean, I really do like the, the Death Grand Alliance. And it's, you say I'm, like, light on ghosts and I'm already, like, I got to buy them all over again. I'm, like, because I, I, I moved a bunch of mine because I let the internet negativity get to me with, with legions of Nagash and like grim gas reapers and stuff like that. And like, I let it get to me and I'm like, never again, you know, like I just like completely overcorrective steer. I will never let someone ruin my fun in age of Sigmar ever again. And go ahead. You're in charge of that influencing now. So like, (laughs) you'll just bring on a person who's like super jazzed about night haunt. You're like done, done, done. Uh, Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I, I mean, that might be my superpower, though, is I can, like, I it's the hype game. It's really about the hype, and, like, I don't like necessarily what somebody else likes, but if I see that they hype up the way I hype up, I, like, like I'm on a resonant frequency. So, like, someone who was, like, like Sons of Behemoth's not my thing, or, or like, Zinch isn't my thing. Zinch is a really good example, because Zinch is actually the opposite of my thing. It's probably my least favorite army. But I spend a little bit talking to, like, Alex Milonis... And, like, suddenly I'm hyped for Zinch because I get to, I, I can, like, I just feel his excitement for his army, you know? And then I'm like, and I'm like, I get it. And, I, I yeah, I don't know. Just just love your stuff. It is the love that binds us, uh, you know, even though eventually death wins everybody. Uh, you'll all be Nagashes eventually. So, uh, you know, why why fight now, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Kicker, I started with Fek, uh, just got even more into death. <laughs> rant me daddy just rolls off the tongue that is uh uh that's better than entertain me monkey or dance for me monkey yeah yeah rant at me daddy or rant for me daddy it's a little creepy but uh you know what i'll allow it i've got i've got sigvold sitting behind me actually right now uh right there so we'll we'll allow it uh, just ca- sorry, catching up on chat. Not not trying to dead air anybody here. My nut hot will be powerful and interesting one day. I'm telling you that new model. It's coming with an apology letter and a bunch of buffs to night haunt. The one that was teased. It's very optimistic. <laughs> the ex- I I think as I I think as I saw that model, I texted Dave and I was like, man, it looks really cool. I can't wait to see how overpointed and mediocre the rules are. <laughs> uh. Uh, and I believe the text message I got was back was a tradition unlike any other. <laughs> well, I was I just saw the uh, the Guardian of Souls with a with with a shade glass or what or mortality glass. Oh yeah. Someone was like painting it, and I just like it just it just came up in my feed. They're like, I'm painting this model. I love this model so much, and I'm just like, so good. I'm just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, oh. I I mean, I'll let anybody run it as a Guardian of Souls, like right. You know. Like that's what it is, right? Uh, it's just it just has a nightmare lantern, quote unquote. Right, right. Okay, right. Yeah, oh, that time glass though was nuts. It it was really good. That's that's why the new one, the excruciator or whatever, so is is coming with an apology letter. Like we're sorry about your mortality glass. Uh, this model is is awesome and uh, fixes everything. So bonkers. <laughs> um. That- that model single-handedly made lists work. So we we already we're already on this. We're already talking death here, and and I haven't. 
really gotten to just gush about Warhammer for a little bit. So I promise, uh, uh, dear chat gang, we will get to the topic. We're going to get to the show. I swear. We, we will. We will. But I, I got... have a bedtime. Like there's, there are rules here. <laughs> but uh, the the reveals for Curse City and Soulblight. I got to get your takes on it. I, I just I just got to hear. Oh my god! So like the Soulblight stuff is great, super awesome, very cool. I love it. Um, you know the 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 Underworld's Warband was magnificent, right? It takes all the visual cues from all the old vampire lords that uh, you, know, you loved in the old world, and there's a there's a new twist on them in the Age of Sigmar universe. Cool, awesome, super easy, like super easy line in the sand to take. I would love to meet the person who's just like, mm, nah, I guess they're okay. Um, then you have the potato camera. Uh, soul blight person that we saw, right? My lady with the flowy hair, who has it's her okay. own has her own emote in in our in uh in our stream. By the way, <laughs> thanks, Doc. <laughs> it, it, that that one to me, I think, is the most interesting to see how that one ties in with what we learned about the newest preview, which is the named character Ratman. And My, like how that interacts with bloodlines and all all that jazz. That's the the newest one we saw. The um, uh, the rat prince is my favorite model. No joke. Since Catacross, like it's it's like kind of everything I want in vampires. Which is, I like vampires who are hor- remember their horror. I think this is very like don't get me wrong. Like Alucard's probably my favorite. Alucard from Castlevania is probably like my favorite vampire overall in terms of just you look at like the totality of like pop culture that has vampires in it. It's like both the Alucards from Helsing and in Castlevania, and then like and then I have to think hard about other va- Vlad's up there, one of my favorites of all time. Like it's and you know and then I have to like start thinking once we go deeper. But that model being like vampires are unnatural predators. Like, you see this dude who's just maximum pimp strutting through the alley, and you're like, okay, and then you do that double take, and you're like, you know, and then the longer you stare at him, the more uncanny and just threatened you feel. You know, like, that model does that in, a, in such a great way. Like, you're like, look at this regal pose, he's got the double canes, you're like, oh, one's a sword and one's a cane, and like, just as you're looking at it, the more you realize, like, I'm fucked. There's, there's so much more to see yeah. in that model. Yeah, yeah. Then your first pass, yeah. Yeah, so I really... He's, he's very cool. Um, and and so the Soulblight stuff is great. Like, I'm I'm really looking forward to see everything they do with it, right? The White King on horse, awesome, fantastic. You know, you didn't do anything complicated with it. You know, you took you took a classic model and you made it Age of Sigmar-y. Uh, but, you know, you didn't have to take it too far to make it look modern to make it look like it fit in that universe to make it look like it fit with the other models cool awesome great but curse city is where like i i wrench free uh, of all of my restraints and i look at that and i just go normally i am not this board game kind of guy however there is no way they made a game with models that are that cool that is bad it's a it in my mind it's impossible like 
there are like there are universes where I look at it and I go, okay, cool, like those are relevant models for me to have. Neat, awesome, fantastic. We'll get them. We'll paint them up. We'll toss them in the army. Hey, does anybody want the board pieces? And you know, just right, right. just give them to somebody. There is no way, none. It, it is impossible for them to make a game that has models that look like that. That is garbage. It's just scientifically impossible. I agree. Uh, I I am bewildered at the quality of, you know, mostly like their big bads uh, kind of thing. The the skeletons are cool. You know, the little packs of, of like young feral vampires is cool. I'm not a fan of the zombies too much. A little There's cartoony. Something about a little cartoony. Yeah, like. Some of them are like stone headstones that are like spiked to these people. Uh, like it's a weird line for me to draw in terms of like what I can believe in a in a universe with like magic and dinosaurs and dragons and uh, and all sorts of crazy stuff. But there's just something I look at about like a headstone being staked to a person and then you're able to put enough unlife into them where they are capable of overcoming. Headstones are really heavy. Uh, like, where they just like walk around with it on their back, like like it should have fallen off. Like you know the like roll around or like they should have taken them off the spike. I don't know. It's just I'm glad that they went bold with it. Yes. Uh, I I much rather they like went far and missed than you just like God dang it. Like these are just regular zombies with just smaller right. hands. Uh, right. You no, know, not that I don't have, you know, a ton of them just sitting around. <laughs> I think that's a square base too, isn't it? Did I? It is, because but that's just what I was painting them on. Because I was gonna do uh, for my Bone Reapers a unit of Marauders that were mercenaries, but I didn't want to do a unit of Marauders, so I took some zombies and like gave them shields and stuff like that. And I was like, that'll be that is a Bone Reaper good enough mercenary unit. Mm-hmm. So. Obviously, never come, never came to pass. But yeah, I'll just paint them up as zombies at some point. But yeah, man, I, I am all about that Curse City kit. I am hundred percent buying it. I am, I am already talking to people about like getting the like the league stuff and play through the missions and stuff like that. That's cool. That's cool. Um, and and somebody hit me up the other night with. Ah, oh, gosh, I hope we have enough, like, monsters. He's like, when we were playing, you know, whatever, it was like, we didn't have enough. And I was like, we're playing at my house. <laughs> there are enough. Like, like if, if we run out of necromantic monsters to throw, like, at the at the team, there's something wrong with the game. Uh, <laughs> the vault provides, says uh, Frank on the yeah, rocks. <laughs> if, if, we get, if we get through 400... Skeletons and zombies, like, man, we got to give them more hit points. Like, <laughs> amazing. Uh, Tomb King Tristan and G Dead dropping a thousand RDP each. Remind everything, everyone, the chat gang ain't nothing to mess with. Yeah, the um, talking to the zombies real quick. I, I think, like you said, they 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 swung bold. You know, I'd rather they go weird than not weird enough. So, like, cool. They're a little cartoony. I think they're over designed. It might be a, like a criticism I, I would hear about them. Like maybe if there was one of the tombstone ones and then like some shamblers and, you know, it's broken up a little bit more, 
that would be cool. But that flesh, uh, the what is he? The uh, the grave, the the grave lord or something. Oh, or the gravekeeper. The yeah. gravekeeper. Cool. That's that thing's gnarly and awesome as hell. I want that to be the new Deadwalkers inspiration. You know how they took with Night Haunt. Which I think when Vince Venturella did his like aesthetic survey, Night Haunt I think was like the number one for aesthetics, and if not number one, it was like yeah, very Night very. Night Haunt cool. are great. They're um, beautiful. I they did that by like taking basically one model and just going, "What all can Three we?" Kits. Yeah. Three kits. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, "What all can we do with this?" And like, oh yeah, the most dynamic range we've ever made. I if they do that with Deadwalkers and like their inspiration is this like this fr- this uh, flesh crafted like. Tomb Lord guy, like oh, oh, we're we're in good shape, right? Like David Spader, awesome. yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Yeah, Shovel Knight for the win. Yeah, the Shovel Man, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I, yeah. I'm glad to hear your thoughts on that. I hadn't really gotten to pick your brain. Uh, I think you had the first tweet about like cursed. You're like the question isn't, uh, like if I'm getting it, it's how many. <laughs> right. Uh. So, brilliant. Um, yeah, so... A very popular, like, one-sentence tweet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did the same thing for Ossiarch Bone Reapers. They're really... They're really good at... When they explore that, like, AOSifying of, like, an old trope or an older thing, they're really good at it. They're, they're, they're modeling team. They're sculpting team. It's why, like, with the Soul Blight thing, we saw, like, the, the bat-haired lady, the, the potato thing, and... Like, the high gothic, even, like, the way she's posing her base, she's kind of, like, looming and leaning forward. And uh, somebody criticized that they're, like, that posture is, like, off. And I'm, like, yeah, it's, like, the, when the Goblin King is walking through, uh, in in the labyrinth, is, like, walking through uh, his little, like, M.C. Escher chambers. And you're just, like, getting him at all these weird angles because he's haunting you. Like, of course a vampire is just kind of going to be... It's like in Lestat when uh, Armand is, like, walking on the freaking ceiling and stuff. Like, it, it's just... Yeah, vampires should do that. They should be weird and uncanny. Um, but, like, yeah. you're looking at... Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I'm just agreeing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and they're getting that, like... You've got that high gothic, and you mentioned, like, bloodlines... I think we're getting bloodlines, like I, because we do have such a, like we have such a, a a range of them now, even just with what we've seen so far, even within the the sort of Shadespire box where you have like you have a little bit more of your your quote unquote vampirate uh, with the with the lady, then you have like high gothic, and then you have like a traditional almost Vlad or von Karstein looking character. Like you're getting a range there. You have the Rat Man. You've got. Um, You've got the this uh, high gothic one that we saw, and still haven't ha- still haven't heard more about Games Workshop. I'm waiting, <laughs> um, and even even like the the Vargulf type thing that's in the Curse City, which to me is like like f- remembering Flesh Eater Courts as as a bloodline, the Strigoi. Yeah, as the Strigoi, right? Like what that could look like if you go more that route, like. You talk about those, like, the sort of fledgling vampire, the, like, very feral ones. Like, those could fit in that Strigoi range, too. Flesh Eater Courts might get wrapped into this book as a bloodline. And... I, yeah, it, it could. I I, I kind of hope not. They're the only one of my death army that's base different. And <laughs> I'd be really annoyed <laughs> if I had to go back and, and, and change the basing on all those guys. 
to uh, the 130 ghouls I have to match the rest of my death army. <laughs> I, I, I want, I want Flesh Eater Courts to get new models in some way because when I saw that the neo, the new Vargul for the Proto Vargul, which also had a pretty solid paint job too, and I know Games Workshop sometimes gets criticized for their painting. But, like, you could see the gradient in the flesh and, like, how the knuckles were cracked and worn and stuff like that. I'm like, this is what Flesh Eater Quartz looks like in my mind's eye. Like, that's that's where the sculpture should start. Not these, like... I love that they're kind of blank canvases. You really get back what you put into ghouls. Like, I really do like that. I think that makes them a very good, like, new player-friendly army. Because contrast paints, a couple detail. You can really have something that looks pretty decent. But then if you're really into it, you can get these really kind of breathtaking, awesome, like adding some conversions and some bits and, and bobs from across it. Go ahead. Nighthaunt get the same kind of effect where they, they can go together real quick. Um, but the uh, the same thing, the folks that put, you know, loads of love and effort into their Nighthaunt create some of the most gorgeous models that you've ever seen. I'll have to rebase half my feck. All my ghouls are on wood planks, <laughs> which would just not be, uh, which would just now be ship planks. I'd be okay with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and hey, to Lilia, how's it going? So, so yeah, I, uh, I, I'm just excited. Um, I, the one thing I am confident in with Games Workshop that I just, I, I, I always. I, I believe them when they say they're a models company first. It's it, I do give them that benefit of the doubt. Like sometimes you know rules don't land, or they do some stuff, and people are like, "Why are they doing this?" The one thing I always hold, as long as they keep like just hitting home runs on their models and showing me that they they really are that models first company, I'll keep the faith. And I'm waiting for that. I I'm just I know that they're gonna crush the vampires, and if they don't, I'm just gonna keep playing bone daddies anyway and be happy either way because the models will be made for somebody else but the, they had me they had me at potato cam pick and i've just i'm already hyped into the into the stratosphere it's over <laughs> game over man game over game over tithe me harder bone daddies that's right um so yeah uh I had a good segue there. I had a good segue opportunity talking about gymnastics from the cold. How to people to play Age of Sigmar. Yeah, yeah. Had a great opportunity. Could have went with another one where you're talking about Cursed City and, like, how the Cursed City box. Well, is that going to be good for teaching? No, that might not be good for teaching. But so many opportunities for a segue. No. Deeper down the rabbit hole about how awesome Cursed City and how awesome vampires are. <laughs> how great yeah, death we're just is. driving right <laughs> by all the exits. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, uh, teaching sort of new players and getting them into Age of Sigmar. Now, this is this is like the I think this is the big question, right? Age of Sigmar is one just more fun when your your friends are playing with it. You know, how do you grab that friend, get them into Age of Sigmar? Like they're showing the interest, they're doing all that stuff, or you're just like super persuasive and you've already just like you know uh, convinced them to come play. Yeah, man, my buddy Nick. Uh... Convinced two of his buddies to just up and buy two thousand point armies without ever playing a game. They they built them all up and then they and like and then they started playing games and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, you got your friends to spend like just a casual six hundred, seven hundred dollars just on an idea. And you know, because like he's a really good painter, right? And uh, you know, like he obviously you know has his friends over and he shows them, he talks about them, and you know, 
like we go to tournaments and stuff like that. But like I can't imagine just like having one of my non Warhammer friends over and being like, Yeah man, you wanna like like see my cases? Like you wanna play this with me? Like, yeah. And you're just like, Well you well like you could have your own army and just like, because he has multiple armies. Like he could have like they could have like played a practice game, you know, he could have like showed you how the game worked and all that. Nah. Just uh think corn's cool, man? Here's a bunch of stuff. Like, here's a corn army. Like, go nuts. And that's just what they did. And you know what, man? Good for him. Uh, See, that's that's terrifying to me because, you know, like, you know, one of the things, like, I, I really kind of set out to do early on with the show is, like, is give people, like, a few ways to approach the game from. Because, like, you know, hey, hey we're playing, like, uh, freaking Beast Claw Raiders for as long as he did when they were utter jobbers and stuff, and, like, 3-2 and two was the highest record in the world for a calendar year with them from Australia. Yeah. You had one of the three-point... You had one of the 3-2 and two records. He had one of the 3-2 records. I had a couple of 3-2s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like... And I'm just, like, looking at that army, and I'm just like, I can't job for that. I always need to feel like 3-2 and two is kind of... If I requisitely practice with my army and, you know, aware of the tournament's meta, I feel like 3-2 and two is, like, the floor for me. And from there, I want an opportunity to get lucky, you know, play out of my mind, go four once, and one. Once or twice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, that's how I, like, that's, that's like, where I want to get on the ride. That's not, no. And, and so, like, you know, the idea of, like, of, like, being competitively out of it for so long and just jumping into an army without knowing anything about how this might competitively perform. And when you're starting out, you're not going to be someone who's like, oh, I, I'm pretty much 3-2 and two showing up to the tournament because I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. You don't start out there. It takes you a while to get up to that. You you need to grind games. You need to practice with battle plans. And to just, like, oh, buy corn. And just, like, I'm going to buy all the models that I think look great. Cool for hobby. But, like, for me, I'm like... I gotta know there's some juice there. Like, I gotta know that there's some, like, gas in the tank, or, or like, I'm gonna lose... I'm gonna spend a lot more time at my vacation homes, right? Like, my one of my vacation homes is Beast of Chaos. Never mind. <laughs> you, you, me, and just about everybody who, who looks so longingly at that book, if Beast of Chaos becomes good, there's going to be a tournament. Like, you you kind of missed out on this, because you, you got into AOS... Um, like right around 2.0. Right, right before it was, it was, I was on GHB 2017, so that was right before that was the year before uh, 2.0 came out. So I'm not quite a 2.0 right. baby. I was getting in my reps before that. So, so like real early Age of Sigmar tournaments, half the field was Stormcast. 50% was Stormcast. <laughs> uh, it, it's gonna be that resurgent, but it's just gonna be Beast of Chaos players, and just everyone's gonna be like. Yeah, man. Like I've always owned Beast of Chaos, and it's not going to be like one of those like weird, uh, uh, you know, like where you make the joke of I've all, I've always loved the models kind of thing. It's just like, yeah, I've owned these for like fifteen years, and you're going to look at them and you go, yeah, it looks like you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's clearly just a square base that you cut the edges off of. <laughs> yeah, or like, or you got the they've got the little uh, the little square to circle conversion things. Like they're just sitting in it, or or you go to move one of their bestigors and it's just a metal slab. <laughs> it just tips over. <laughs> like like that's that's what the competitive scene is going to become. Is it's just going to be everyone going? Well, they're good enough. I'll take a shot at it. Right. And 
everyone's just gonna show up with the same like 400 wound army and go <laughs> well, all right <laughs> oh man no it's 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 true i think i it's i don't know what it is i i think that there's just this this teeming just gigantic love for beasts of chaos and then like there's a little bit of a fermi paradox where it's like i'm pretty convinced like people love this army and play it but like where is all the support like you know it's it's if if everyone loves the shadows everyone's in the forest <laughs> we're all we're all waiting <laughs> Oh man, no, that'll be a great day. Yeah, so, so but no, the, the the just kind of resetting it real quick. The like I I try to like get people like okay when you're when you're getting into Age of Sigmar, you need to be honest with yourself with what you wish to accomplish. You know, like if you don't, if you truly don't care, if you got that Halo thing where you're like you really don't care how good your army is or not, and you can three and two is your ceiling because it's just cool. But you got to know that. You got to know that going in, though, and the whole like every army can compete, like to a point. Yeah, you know, you know, if you if you if you play Sylvaneth, like I'm pretty sure, like in some in some certain like casual scenes or even like certain tournament settings, like you'd be able to you'd be able to like have a pretty decent weekend, a three and two weekend, maybe get a, get like really lucky on the battle plans, go for you know go four and one, be in the mix for you know, best order or something like that. You know, that's that's a scenario I believe is capable for many armies. Um, if you're just willy-nilly grabbing models off the shelf and just throwing $700, like, that's probably not the category you're in, though. And so I really try to, like, well, figure out what you're trying to get it, it, do, give yourself a pet unit, but for the most part, tune it. And that's just my mentality. Everyone's got their own thing. Um, so, like, your fr friends just buying armies, I'm just like, whoa! <laughs> yeah, I... <laughs> He's got better friends than I do. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. Well, I, I don't know. So, but but to, to kind of, um, I guess, to use that as a teaching moment, do you think going into Age of Cigar, and obviously it's going to be different for every person to, to person, do you think ideally you would play some games, get some practice battle plans in with like a friend's army first? Like, how do you, th what do you think the ideal getting into Age of Sigmar scenario looks like for somebody? Obvi again, d different for everybody, but yeah. what's your take? Yeah. Yeah, outside of like just walking into a games workshop and being like, or your local gaming store and just being like, whoa, what is this all about? And then, you know, you get the sales pitch uh, spun on you. Uh, you know, just imagining that it's just you and your and your buddy and, and they come into your house mess and, you know, they see all these cool models that you have in your case. And they're like, what? Like, what's this about? And, you know, you you give them your card. and You're like, I have, you know, 80 whatever episodes uh, of multi hour podcasting <laughs> that I do about this. Just listen to this and you'll like we're good. No, no, you know, no, I don't. Like People ask. They're like, oh, what's what a great podcast. We're going to get Age of Sigmar. I'm like, not my show. Like two hours of just slogging through philos like phil like philosophy and stuff. Like probably not the best. But you, if you want p people uh, passionate about AOS, sure, my show. There you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like when you described it in the setting and like kind of how the game works, and if they expressed interest in being like, oh, I'd like to you know know more about that. Um, that's where I would recommend the idea of you know, playing a game, and I don't mean, like, a 2,000-point game for someone who is totally new to war games. You're talking, like, 500 to 1,000 points. You play it on a 4x4. You take these missions. You scale them down to that size. 
and before you roll any dice, you know, you give them the benefit of being like, you know, like what, like, what do you think is like really cool? You know, of the things that like I've explained, you know, like, is the, is the magic something that's cool to you? You know, do you want units that are just going to go in there and just, you know, punch somebody's helmet off and just steamroll through the units? Um, you know, do you like the big, stupid, crazy monsters? And, and when they tell you what they like, you know, you write like a list for them. Doesn't have to be legal, by the way. Uh, you you write a list for them that is gonna be cool. That you know that is going to show off the things that that are interesting to them. And you take something that is going to show off the fundamentals of the game, right? So you take something that's super balanced, but is not a hard counter to everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. uh, you want something that does something in every phase, ideally. Uh, Stormcaster, a great pick for that because they have units that do literally everything. Uh, but I learned on Stormcast. Say... Uh, I, I learned on Stormcast. I, I, I played Halo's uh, Stormcast against his, his Beast Claw Raiders and against his Mixed Order. Um, right. So so that's that's where I would say you flip it. Like, let, let the person that you're teaching play the stuff that, that just seems really cool to them. If they came in and they were like, yo, those mon those monsters just looked so awesome. Like, is there an army of monsters I can play? And you're like, yeah, dude, for sure. <laughs> and, you know, and, and thankfully we're at a point in the game where, yes, there is. And you let them do that. And you know what? If they want, like, if you run it out where they're running a three model Beast Claw Raider, you know, thousand point monster truck list, Okay, cool. You're going to bring uh, a hero that can cast. You're going to bring, you know, some fighty units. You're going to bring some shooty units. You're going you're gonna to just bring units that do stuff. And you're going to play the game. And he's going to play with the thing that he, you know, that, that they think looks cool. And you're going to play, like, with the rules because they're going to pick up on what it is that you're doing. And, you know, you tell them, like, you know, I brought something that's kind of even keeled just to show off, like, what stuff does, how the game works. And, you know, if they like it from there, cool, you can play bigger games, you can play, you know, more poignant ruled games. Wait, you don't take them immediately to Pound Town and tell them to get good, no. kid? No, I did that to our GW store manager who needed an AOS refresher game. Uh, but I had, I had over the last, like, month seen him just decimating people in 40k uh teaching games and like i i knew that and i went i was we're gonna turn the tables on him for all the horrible things he's done to new players like, uh, <laughs> amazing that's <laughs> that little like you no, could dole it, out a little karmic retribution is pretty great yeah um, if if they are genuinely your friend and they want to come play with you, uh, you do got to, like, take your foot off the gas. And that's one of the things that we're going to talk about in these missions as well. Uh, part of the reasons I love all these missions is it lets you play the game. It lets you take your foot off the gas without looking like that you are just throwing the game away for, you know, to, like, to let your friend be, you know, hanging on in there. If after that, like, intro game, right they seem to like it. I think that's where we start this conversation of how do you start teaching somebody, uh, you know, how to, how to come into age of Sigma. Well, I, I think that there is, there is something to be said for like where, 
how competitive are you? And I think, like you said, we're going to go into this a little bit. But it, it is worth noting, like, if you coddle me in a game, like, Haywo knows me well enough to where, like, you know, I helped get him into Magic the Gathering back in college, and, you know, he went on to be, like, the the higher-end, like, tournament grinder than even me. Like, I got him into Magic the Gathering. Like, I had a rapport with him over, like, 14 years of competitive, different competitive stuff. Like, to where, like, he knows that, like, if you, like, if you do the kids' glove thing with me teaching me a game, like, like I'm, I'm not gonna like be as engaged or process as hard. Like, I need to feel like there's a challenge there so that I have a puzzle to solve. That I and different people are gonna differ. So it is something that I think you need to be cognizant of when you're teaching somebody. Like, what level of competition are they? Is is best for them getting into the game, right? Like, it's it's really about them. If you want to like style on somebody. I don't know how much street cred you're getting styling on noobs, but I, like that's like that was my introduction to War Machine, right? Like the I, I've told this story on the on the show before, but to to keep it short, I went to a gaming club in college. They played War Machine. They really didn't play 40k or fantasy or anything like that. I said, okay, can you show me how to play? And you know, I I grabbed a, a group that looked cool, and he played me with another one, and we got to turn two, and I had made some mistake. And he just snipes out my Warcaster, which is central to the War Machine game. And if your Warcaster dies, you lose. And so he he snipes out the Warcaster, turn two. He goes, all right, and that's the game. And I'm like, great. I don't I don't know anything more about this game than I did when I came here. So thanks for that. Really appreciate it. Right. Well, you want to play another one? Nah, I'm good. And just so like like there's a line there where you're putting someone's foot in the dirt because they didn't know that that's how the game worked. Right. Mm-hmm. But you know, you're not going to just be like, Oh, I'm going to like, I'm just going to run this unit over here. Cause I think they look cool in this corner. Like that's, that's not what we're talking about. Right. Well, I mean, even with your scenario for, 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 for war machine, I think a better thing to do in a teaching game for someone is be like, like, when that player does the thing, you want them to make the mistake, maybe even snipe it out and be like, okay, look, you just lost here. What if we reset this a little bit? So that, like, because you need to learn that lesson, right? Like, you need to learn that you put the thing in the spot, it's going to die, and then the game is over. You need to learn that lesson. And some people learn kinesthetically, some people learn on paper and conceptually, you know, like, we all have our different styles. And I think that teaching that hard lesson... But then kind of resetting slight, like the game state a little bit, walking it back to where you can play a game and still learn more would have been a better way to go about that. I think. But A different age. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've never, I've never played War Machine. Uh, it, was, it was this thing that they advertised a few of the Gen Cons I went to. But, like, I played Warhammer Fantasy Battle growing up. Was never very good at it. Um... I was pretty pa- pretty decent at 40k. Took a long break off. I'm the same story most people tell you about Age of Sigmar. I played 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 Old Hammer. Played. Took a break. Came back. Age of Sigmar was the thing. Said okay, I'll play this. Like so. Um. Warmer hordes breeds unnecessarily aggressive players with their not in my game almost serious spiel. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand game. I don't know. It's weird. Like, I do have that competitive streak, but it's... I 
there's no there's like there's no sweetness to the victory in, in, in crushing someone who's new for me. Like I don't prove anything. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. I crushed someone who's new. You know, it's like beating my kid in a, a game of basketball. Like, you know, obviously I don't it's phone. Three feet tall, like congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> I don't know. It's it just it doesn't it it doesn't ha- have any joy for me. Now, of course, I don't do the thing where I let my kin my kid beat me in basketball. I don't want him having the un unrealistic expectation that he can win at everything and that you know he's kid you got to earn it you're not better than your dad but i make it close <laughs> you know uh i guess when you're talking and but that's talking about like with kids you know people i think the demographic we're talking to right now are adults or young adults and and stuff like that like you know they, these are these are people who who have conceivably have a familiarity with some nerd stuff you know, it's about sure. building that bridge into, you know, the best damn community in gaming, Age of Sigmar, and showing them why we're the best damn community in gaming, right? So. Yeah, so after after you've had that kind of intro experience, that's where I would recommend, you know, kind of playing fuller games, 1,500 to 2,000 point games, uh, specifically with these three missions that we're going to talk about here. Okay. So, um What's the what's the first one we had? The first one we got is 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 Border Wars. So this is uh this is a great this is a great battle plan for like actually learning uh, a new even if you're like an exist existing player and you're a pretty polished player. I think Border Wars is a great a great one for learning learning an army or refining how you play with an army. So so what about this? Do you like about sort of teaching someone who's new? Right. So so to your point, the this is a great one for. For anybody starting something, getting a refresher on it, uh, for a couple reasons, right? The mission is very simple, and for you competitive players, there's almost always some version of it in a tournament pack. Almost always. This is a this is a good mission to have, just committed to memory. Uh, so the way that this mission works, scoring-wise, for, for those of you that aren't super familiar, it's four objectives. One in your territory, worth one point to you. Two on the center line, worth two points each and one in your opponent's territory worth four points to you. So they're spaced out over uh, a pretty reasonable area, but there's a nice symmetry to the scoring where you can you can play hard to one side or the other, but if the game's like really starting to, you know, to kind of go in a weird direction, you can you can take a, a unit of yours and just say, oh, I'm going for the home run, going for the big points. Mm-hmm. Even though that might not be a totally great idea, um, it gives your opponent something to kind of react to, something to really go, well, I don't want him getting four points. Or he'll see through your cunning ruse and just be like, okay, well, the unit I left on the objective is going to be able to handle that unit of five dire wolves. Uh, you know, I, I think I'll be okay. Right. It's it's simple enough to explain to anybody. There's not any weird additional scoring criteria. It's just models in range. That's who owns it. You don't get bonuses for uh, having, uh, you know, like leaders or heroes. There's no weird scoring to it. Like you can't like it has to be held with battle line. Uh, it's just heroes. There's very low randomness. This is the game that I teach everybody with in their first, like, introduction to 
uh, like, how does this game actually work kind of setting. Uh, with that, the added layer that I, I give folks with it is objective missions are the things that give your points meaning. Otherwise, it's just an arbitrary currency system. Without the objectives, you could just build an army that kills everything better than anything anybody has ever seen, and you're going to win every single one of your games against anybody's 2,000-point armies that they're going to be able to put together because your army just does all of, like, all of the removing of models, right? Having the objectives on the table, having to go get them, having to do the scoring requirement, having them be in yours in the middle and in your opponent's uh, forces you to play the game at full at full length, right? With your this sort of like objectives give context to the points take. Do you find that this is where players kind of first get their like initial notion when you're teaching them like the idea of trading points or trading up or trading down? Like this this thing that we kind of have like if I throw 400 points at 100 points, theoretically my 400 points should kill it and. Is this that first time you think a player internalizes something like that? Now, that's not always the truth, because uh, force multipliers and so on and so forth and different points in different armies. But in general, I think that's the read, right? Yeah, I, I think folks start to understand that, because uh, in the in the early setting, you're playing about 1,000-point games, right? Uh, or starter boxes. And, and you get... Uh, like, you know what your stuff is worth, and... As the as the person teaching, like you should you should convey like what is important to your army, the things that make your army go, and you know like yeah sure it's a hundred point pack of ghouls, but I'm going to spend these other resources to make them more like I'm going to make them fight it more than a hundred pack of ghouls. I'm going to give them two more attacks. They're really kind of like two hundred points of ghouls. And I've got this extra command point sitting around, so they're going to fight again. So it's really going to fight like 400 points worth of ghouls. And you've got a 400-point monster sitting on that objective. So this is kind of a, uh, you're like, it's a fair trade in, in what the effective stuff is, but that's not something that they're going to understand right away. But they're going to see, right, that, that difference in they paid 400 points for that monster, and I paid 100 points for this pack of ghouls. But, you know, I maybe almost killed it. And, you know, you ate my hundred ghouls, but you're going to, that, that player's going to sit there and go like, oh, like getting the things to work together is what really gets this to tip over the ledge. And hopefully, you know, they brought synergistic things or you helped them kind of write a list that, uh, that makes sense, or you wrote it for them, you know, off of just models that you own and you're able to put something together that was cool and does cool things for them. And I don't recommend like taking off their big scary thing as early as you can. Save that. Let them do cool things with their cool scary, like unit or monster, you know, whatever it is that's that's interesting to them. Mm -hmm. The you're doing no one any favors by being like like yeah I know that Ghoul King on Terrorgeist is probably the scariest thing on the battlefield. Let him kill something with it. Let him go. Oh, that was that was awesome. You go, all right, now I have to do something about this. Well, they, they, they uh, you know, they, they, they bought their ticket, let them take the ride a little bit. Age of Sigmar is a game after all, and, like, there's some fun in all that. 
that that you want them to experience. Like, there's a reason we play this game. You know, you want them to get to experience some of those those reasons uh, in a teaching game, even. Roll this bucket of dice so you get addicted. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, the first hit's free. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, the sort of like I, I like that like the the objectives are kind of where like the points gain their context. Um, I, when you're going into into teaching, that how much time do you spend on the turn zero? Because I think that as a community, this is this is something that we haven't had the language for until recently. Um, you know, we we have an understanding that before the game starts, you exchange your list and you talk about what your list does and the good stuff and blah blah blah. But like the actual like. Like, if I had new players to teach now, I would really convey the importance and the significance of Turn Zero so that they understand going out into the world once they're out of the safety of my bunker and where I'm teaching them to play. Like, like, hey, Turn Zero's setting up the expectations for the game. Like, how much do you spend on, like, Turn Zero when you're teaching games? Or do you just kind of, like, find that you don't want to overwhelm them with jargon and, like, just play a little bit? Like, what what's the balance there for you? Yeah, I, I probably do a lot less turn zero conversations than I probably should. Uh, but I'm I'm very lucky in the sense of I have a very large community that I that I trust that when we're bringing someone new into the hobby, that there's a that there's a group of people that like you can once you get them up to speed on kind of how the game works, that uh, will play games. They'll understand that this person is new. And you know they'll be helpful, and they'll be they'll be good about it. And you you just teach the behavior by by being that, right? You know you're you're not going to stand there just stone face killer. Uh, <laughs> you know, like in in the teaching game, and you know, like in some contexts, they they know me as that because they've seen me playing somebody else who's prepping for a tournament, and we're you know we're in the hobby shop, and you know that that bit of like stress sweat is coming down the face yeah yeah and you know you're staring you're staring your buddy down you know trying to trying to get the last bit of advantage in that and they're like like do you two hate each other (laughs) no we're just we're just we're just plotting out the the way all this works but yeah uh you know i i've always been pretty lucky to have a, a, a good group of folks that uh, you know, haven't been problematic in that regard where, where you can, once you get them up to speed, you can, you can bring them into that community and everyone's going to bring them up to, to wherever it is that they want to go. Oh no, Sir Darwinning. Or you can be your learning game uh, where a dude legit cheated in the development just to beat a beginner. <laughs> yeah, no, we're trying to I uh, I think it's important that if we want the community to be healthy, um, just like with like with sports ball, like a good minor league or a good farming system or a good draft, like those are that that's the longevity of your sport. You know, a, a sports right. only as strong as that sort of next crop of talent. You know, the NBA, you know, start you know high school's got to be healthy to so that it precipitates up. You know, it's the opposite of trickle down. By the way, it's the grass. It it builds upward. You want to have a good strong, a good strong base. Uh, like healthy youth sports translates to healthy collegiate and minors, and then that in turn may, makes the product at that at that top end, that that professional level, better. With Age of Sigmar, you know, 
I think the best way as the game grows, I mean, we are at the precipice of the next biggest period of growth in our gaming history. In lockdown, Games Workshop posted record profits. Now, this isn't absurd for everything, but there are many businesses that struggled. This is a hobby game meant to be played physically with other people more so than than any CCG or... And it's a total luxury product. Like it is, yeah. the, it is the extremest version, uh, like of a luxury product. It serves no purpose other than, to, like, to be a host unto itself. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Yeah. They're selling you a painting system. They're selling you models. They're selling you rule books. Like, all in, said and done. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's other hobbies that are way more expensive. But right. Like. Like, you can't, like, go do anything other than this with this hobby. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I Paint. Eh, I mean, you could you could start painting other models and other minis. Like, you could branch out and sure. start painting other miniatures. Uh, I like that I over-enunciate miniatures now, uh, which is not something I used to do. Um, no, but but I think that, that where I was going with this is I think it's really important that as the game grows... The people who hear, or who who are, who are in the community, lead by example. I mean, the fear of a bunch of new people coming into your game and ruining it is something that is very prevalent amongst nerds. You know, you're looking at a a a, a group, a demographic of of individuals that were traditionally to, defined by the shared experience of ostracization, right? Like this this shared experience of, of, of marginalization where you're like, we're nerds, and part of what makes us nerds is that we're outcasts together, right? That's what, And now it's like, wait a second, we're just letting anybody play it out? We're not the outcasts anymore? How do you, you know, this might become 40K, or this might become War Machine, and people have that legitimate fear as you get this influx of new players. I think the best way you fight that is, is ironically, by being super chill and accepting. You don't want to put additional chips on people's shoulders because you don't know what they came into from other... The worst thing that would have happened to me is if I came from Magic the Gathering into this because I already had fear of going to, like, that one little Gen Con tournament. Like, and, like, the that guys coming out in mass and me having to deal with the 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 stereotypical Magic the Gathering player, but now in Age of Sigmar, that was just modified by all the forum stuff and Facebook chatter I'd read. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just going in like, Oh, these people are going to try to angle shoot me. They're going to like be knuckling down on their models and like eking out extra inches. And if I knock over my model, they're going to call me a cheater. And if I put my shade spire box of skeletons in with my regular skeletons, they're going to like try to hit me for WYSIWYG. Freak out. Yeah. Like just this, this, this doomsday scenario I had. If I had actually fucking encountered that, I'd have become a gigantic asshole. I'd have been like, oh, this is everything I feared it was, so now I have to, like, to slay the beast, I must become the beast, right? Like, I have to be a bigger monster. There's something to be said for the fact that, like, I I see a a point in my life with Age of Sigmar where Rantcast doesn't happen, where I don't go to, like, Dragonfall as my next event. I go to... Uh, was it Nova's around that time or something like that? Instead, like, I, I have a whole different trajectory based on those games and the examples that that were laid for me. The first guy I played at a professional event was from the Pants Mafia, Kyle. Or not professional, a big tournament out in the wild. 
be outside of my own LGS, outside of my own little world with Haywo and and Andrew Yells and stuff like that. My first game was against Kyle. It, he's such a nice guy. I thought that was an act. I'm like, no human is legit this nice. Like, nobody in the world is actually this nice of a guy. Yeah, actually, him. That's how... It, 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 it made me want to be a better gamer. Because I'm like, if this is... If other people... It, it took, like, a couple rounds for me to realize it wasn't an act. But, like, it, this experience here of, like, meeting somebody that's now a lifelong friend. Like, you know, that's what I want to do. That's how I wish to lead in this community. And again, I think it's very, very important that when you're te you're teaching games, you're setting you're, I, you, the pressure of the world's not on you. It's just a freaking game, but you can certainly do a lot of good by sort of helping that next sort of group of individuals acclimate to Age of Sigmar. Show them that that it's not the the forums and Facebook group of nonsense that uh, that you you might think is reality. And I, I, I don't know. So I just, it's something I think about from time to time. This sort of anti-gatekeeping, if you will, of leading by example. Because new players are going to come regardless of whether you want to or not. Games Workshop spends a lot of money and a lot of time trying to get people to buy their product. The new players are coming. And you can either be insular about it and douchey and standoffish. Or you can, like, welcome their them here Show them how you play the game, lead by example, and have positive growth. Uh, there's my fucking soapbox for the evening. <laughs> Chris CB dropping a thousand. Well, we've got the rant of the cast handled. All right. Yep. So there we uh... go. Let's get back to the topic at hand. Chris CB dropping a thousand RDP to remind everyone that chat gang ain't nothing to fuck with. Uh, being an ambassador to the hobby is the best part of the hobby. I agree. I agree. Positivity, bro. <laughs> Quality rants, by the way. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. I, I think um, if you, if if anyone's watched your podcast or listened, yeah, watched. If anyone's listened to your podcast, uh, keep it shenanigans. Again. Watching our podcast, I have a lot of other <laughs> questions for them. Uh, your your podcast is very much a teaching podcast. You do. A, I mean, this is a, you do a lot more of of this style of content than I, I certainly do. Um, one thing your co-host will often say is that you're a great teacher of the game, you know, which is, is really, I, I think, uh, appropriate. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. 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 And, and so I, I think that like, um, when it comes to like sort of teach, teaching about teaching games, I, I, I think you're a pretty good authority on this. Um, sorry. Uh, snip bag dropping a thousand RDP to remind everyone the check gang ain't nothing to mess with. Um, so yeah, turn zero. I talked about that. Um, are we ready for the next battle plan, or you wanna you wanna just sort of like? Uh, sure. Uh, yeah, summer this one's straightforward. There, there's a lot of stuff I loved about it. Uh, it's it's perfect. It's great. I, I it's one of the battle plans I use when I'm learning new games myself, like new uh, new armies myself. You you cannot go wrong with border war. It... There we go. All right, so next up, Total Conquest. I was actually kind of interested um, uh, that you picked this one. Um, so I'm, I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on why um, why Total Conquest. Yep. So Total Conquest is also for objective mission, where instead it's spaced out into the corners. The 
the thing that you want to show off with this game, and this is probably not your first game. This is probably your second or third one. Uh, again, I think Border Wars your first one. What you teach with this one is you you teach that there are uh, different ways to deploy. The objectives are in different places. Their scoring is is more variable than uh, than Total Conquest, right? Be or that not Total Conquest Border War. Because in this one, every objective is worth one, unless your opponent previously held it, and then it's worth two. Uh, or if you have, it's a behemoth, right? Uh, if a player controls an objective while there is a friendly leader unit within six, they score uh, one additional victory point. So, so it, your objective can be worth one, it can be worth two, it can be worth three. But they're all, they're all the same, they're all the same all the time. Uh, you have different directions that you can choose to go. This one, you start learning uh, maybe more of the fundamentals of of what makes the game, you know, work. Right, where you have, uh, it's very difficult to convey how important the movement phase is to somebody. Right, that's it's one of those things that you learn over time, and as you sit and are introspective about what occurred in the process of that game. A lot of times you realize at some point that you could have changed the game by something as simple as making a run roll in turn two instead of just making a regular movement. It's it's such a it's such a wildly small singular dice roll to think about, but sometimes that's all that makes the difference, right? And when you get into the more competitive games, it's very rarely something like that. But as as you're coming up and you're trying to break that 3-2 uh, you know, win wall as it is at events, some of those losses are just real small decisions that uh, if you played more games, you were more disciplined, you would, have, you would have known to have made those choices. But this one, this mission in particular, um, it, and the one thing that all of these missions have in common is deployment is very simple. In the scale of things it is they are just squares and in this case you know you'll have a little arc that you're going to cut out for having to be so far away from enemy territory mm -hmm. do not do angles do not do stair steps do not do like any anything weird that's going to require you to draw shapes like real complicated shapes on the board absolutely not no right do not do that horrible horrible choice I like um squares. Uh, Nuke Doctor here, Sean uh, from Detroit Warhammer Clubs uh, in the house says love Total Conquest for teaching that risk management dynamic. I think that's showing. This is maybe where you start to learn uh, like trades in terms of like board position, right? Like if I'm, you're learning a little bit. You're, you're codifying that a little bit. I like that the first one. You're really kind of like, you know, sort of building the context for, for, for points and, and what that means. And now we're, we're getting to like the movement and, and how that's important. You like to say a lot in conversations, you'll talk about discipline. I remember one of our, our first conversations was like spears or swords, right? And uh, for skeletons. And you said basically swords uh, because like once you get more discipline, swords are about as good. And I, I just, that always stays out in my mind. When you say discipline, what do you mean? What is disciplined Warhammer? 
Wow. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of things. It's once you have a grip on how your army works, the management of a game to, to its ultimate success, and you need to be a disciplined Warhammer player to win five games at a tournament in almost any situation. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are windows in time where the armies are so stupid good. Uh, and you happen to be just a good enough player playing the army that's just dumb. And the dumbness of that army paired with you being just generally good is going to win you a tournament. It happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that happens a lot less often than a excellent player playing uh, an army that you know is excellent but has you know some some inherent weaknesses missions it doesn't super like to see opponents that it's not uh it's not it's not happy about seeing on the other side of the table yeah obr seeing but, skaven at paca <laughs> yeah yeah uh, i almost had that game yeah yeah uh, but should and are two different words yeah yeah um the discipline is understanding where everything is in relationship to each other, I think is maybe the easiest way to distill this down. Uh, it's where your units are within range of your heroes. It's where your units are in relationship to objectives. It's where your opponent's uh, models are in relationship to objectives and where your models are in relationship to them. Uh, where the range of your units are to their respective targets that they're interested in. Uh, disciplined Warhammer is, is getting every last bit of uh, dice potentiality out of the results and understanding that there are sacrifices to be made in terms of maybe number of models you get into close combat in order to be able to spend the command point that lets you fight a second time. Uh, like, yeah, okay, on the first pile and you got two fewer models, but you got to pile in a second time and fight, uh, which really means you got another, like, 27. So it... But all it takes is one base being, you know, for, for a regular person, two millimeters out, and you're holding the ruler above the models, and your opponent looks over the top and goes, nah, man, I, 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 like, I, it's not close enough. I can't give it to you. Right. You know, there are times where you're playing with folks, and you're like, it's, it's an inexact science. I, I think it's fine. It, it might not be. It might be. We're human, right? Right. But you have that. When you're making your pylons, that you are getting as many models in as, as you reasonably can, making sure that that second rank is touching the first one, that if you are trying to prevent a pylon from another model, that you have, you have pinned them in such a way where they can't come over, knowing your order of activations that you are going to have to take in order to maximize the end result, where you can say... I can take a punch from this unit on this one because, at worst, I'm going to lose a model and a half, but I should still be able to take out that unit in return. But I know I need to go over here because if I don't do this first, they're going to swing and it's you know it's all going to be lost. Knowing when to actually physically make the charge, when to kind of hold off and say, I didn't get that other unit in, my support pieces aren't right, like I'm kind of leaving this thing out on an island. Uh, Discipline is about risk management and and just seeing all of the game for what it is. Mm-hmm. 
but that is not a skill I can teach you overnight. Right. Uh, it's realistically not a skill I can teach you, you know, verbally over the course of, you know, 15 to 20 episodes of anything. Right. You are going to develop disciplined Warhammer skills by playing a ton of games with opponents that are willing to be honest with you about what went right and what went wrong. Right. And then, you know, taking it upon yourself to make adjustments from there. Well, I, I, in in general, I, I like that discipline is sort of like, it's almost like an applied awareness is what you're, like, you can be aware of the game, but then also like applying that and, and seeing the ramifications of that on the table is, is kind of like what, I, what I'm hearing. Um, I like to, um, when you, you talk about like opponents being honest with you, I think that's critical. It, I think that's super critical in growth. And I also think, uh, honestly, with yourself, you know, I talk about, I've, I've been around competitive stuff. League of Legends games are the the biggest cesspool of dishonesty, which is why, competitively speaking, it stagnates. Because players aren't often honest with the mistakes they make over the course of a game. Uh, Lane was feeding. You know, I'm speaking in jargon if you've never played League of Legends, but, like, immediately people go to the stuff that other people did wrong. In Age of Sigmar, you only have yourself, you know, for the most part. You, you know, there's pairs and team games, and I, I love those formats. But at, at this, and there's the dice. You can always blame the dice. You can always blame the dice. But I, I think it's almost more, more prescient to look for the place where dice weren't a factor, the battle plan wasn't a factor. and You, you have to look for that stuff. You've got to be honest with yourself. And if you have an opponent who helps you see some of that stuff, even better. Because that's the only way you're going to grow, is, is knowing... Yeah, it was a bad matchup on a bad battle plan, and the dice were kind of against me. What decisions did you make, though? Really analyze those. Those decisions start when you build that list. They start when you deploy. Like, you're already making decisions, you know. So, the the option of going for the run when you maybe wanted to be able to charge instead, like, because you, you don't live in the in that super special land some people get to live in with run and charge, so you have to make a decision you know, things like that, that really impact the game. Heck, I've had times where I've made the wrong decision, but my opponent had to do, ended up like, oh, he made a mistake. I'm going to go for the, the, the play, the risky play to try to crush him. And then, like, it didn't pan out for them because the dice went against him. And, like, I, I had to be honest that, like, I didn't win that. Because, like, if I make that decision, you know, a hundred times... And 90 of them, I make it one way, you know, or sorry, if I make the decision 100 times, how does that usually play out if it doesn't backfire on my opponent? You got to, like, look at it like that. If I make this decision 1,000 times, like, how does that play out? That's another good way to analyze and, and get some honesty about about it. I mean, once you get into the tournament play, once you get into, like, the under the gun, you can, you go for that one in a hundred chance. You go for some of that stuff if it's the only out you have. But to even get to the point where you can identify those opportunities, it starts with that honesty. Yep. So. And, and I think that's one of, where one of the great strengths of having, like, a gaming community or a club uh, really comes in handy. We, the guys from Milwaukee, We'll sometimes play games where two guys are playing and then a third is just standing at the edge of the table. You know, like he's working on other stuff, but he comes over and the three of us will have a conversation about what's going on and, and who's doing what and where and when and why and how. And, you know, like we're, we're helping each other, you know, grow in that, uh, in that respect. Mm -hmm. But obviously if, you know, if you're just getting that group started, 
learn together. Hmm. Be be your gaming club. All it takes is two people to have a gaming club. There, there's a hot take. That's it. <laughs> yeah. It's true though. It's true though. Um, Halo and I. That's where the jo- uh, heavy magic is. The is the is the Halo and, and Mephisto joke is. It, that's go- goes all the way back to. Uh, uh, I think I've told this story before, but World of Warcraft. Uh, if you've ever played World of Warcraft, dear chat gang, um, people be like, "I want to make a new warlock. What should I name it?" Or you know whatever is. It was a co- very very common thread on the World of Warcraft threads or uh, forums, and there was this one thread. Where someone was like, hey, I need name suggestions for, for my undead warlock. And people just went through and they suggested, like, you know, historical names and, like, uh, a bunch of, like, rant, like historical names or, like, oh, you know, puns and, like, really, really in-depth stuff. And then this one person showed up and just had this, like, this great list of, like, historical names and witty puns and then just in the middle, heavy magic in all caps. And then, like, and then the whole rest of the thread... For just a hundred pages became people suggesting realistic, but always putting heavy magic on the list. <laughs> and it was just the funniest, like, had to be there type of thing. And Hey, and I still snicker about it to this day. It's like every time we go to make a new character and something, just like, what should the name be? Heavy magic. <laughs> it's just like the dumbest. So we, we, we joked that, uh, you know, we were heavy magic. My gaming binder, which I believe is right here behind me. Boom. There you go, chat gang. The heavy magic logo here. Still. And my my uh, my son wrote his alphabet around it, too, so. <laughs> like, I have an actual logo now, and I could, like, easily put my sticker on. No. Uh-uh. Heavy magic. Nah. Nah. <laughs> um, yeah, the club, of, uh, club can be two people. I need to get a heavy magic shirt made. Maybe. Maybe, but heavy magic exists in here. It's in the heart. Well, maybe it's maybe it's just that it's the heavy magic logo here, and like it still has like all of the alphabet that your son did. That's right. And and you make it a joke for like just ten people. Yeah, right? like the, that's the yeah the three people who buy the heavy magic shirt. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could even say I was the originator of the, like, I was the witty guy who, who wrote all, like, all nah, the names. You were just there. I was just happened to be there as I watched this, like, kind of wholesome, like, meme just just be born. This inception of this, like, wholesome meme. Because usually it's, like, vitriol and trolling people, and it doesn't take long before, like, you know, the lewd... lewd yeah, that con- takes over. Yeah, but no, it was just heavy magic, a hundred pages of, like, honest suggestions in this somewhere in there <laughs> i don't know if that person ever made the made the character name and named it heavy magic or not <laughs> heavy magic tattoo there there you go that's that that's the next donation incentive for rantathon tattoos is i get a i get heavy magic like tattooed on my knuckles <laughs> heavy magic <laughs> Uh, now you all know, uh, dear chat gang, the story of heavy magic, and you can go on and spread this joke. Enjoy. <laughs> this is my gift to you tonight. Uh, Brendan's gift to you tonight, however, is to stay on topic and teach you about battle plans. <laughs> um, Teaching you how to teach people using battle plans. Right. Right. Um, so, so with uh, with uh, with a uh, total conquest here, um, really learning that that sort of risk reward. Um, 
different. Now the scoring's getting a little. It's not random yet. You have full agency. Not yet. You have full agency, but you get to see those. Um, uh, you you get to see those sort of like uh, 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 decisions really like kind of affect the gameplay. Uh, do I put a leader near this objective to begin with? Yes, no, right? Like, I don't, I don't want that there, right? Like, just some, some, some more three-dimensional thinking. Um, and so the next one then, uh, speaking of not random yet, shifting objectives, which is one of those ones that, uh, has a bit of a reputation, actually, for, you know, there, there's the, the quote-unquote random objective ones tends to be... I'd say it's a it's a it's a discussed or debated uh, uh, topic on whether you include it in a battle uh, a, a tournament pack or not, and and so on and so forth. Um, so, but this is the third one you picked. Yeah. You want to go into to to uh, what this one is, uh, what shifting objectives is, and why you picked it? Yeah. So there's there's two things that you kind of want to teach out of this battle plan. One is within the battle plan itself, and the other is how to play the game. So. In, in this battle plan, you still have a relatively straightforward deployment. It's still a rectangle. Uh, you know, the difference is, is that it's, you know, contained into a smaller area. So uh, for some players, this might be their really first introduction into your territory versus your opponent's territory in terms of some rules, in terms of how you get to place uh, some of your faction terrain in a very limited space. Now, Total Conquest is a limited space, but it's still a quarter of the board. This is not a quarter of the board. Not even close. Mm -hmm. So, one, that's going to be one thing that you're going to learn. But but more importantly, from, from the battle plan perspective, is this is your first introduction into randomness within uh, a mission in and of itself. The randomness is kept relatively low down to a, a D3, right, where one one objective every battle round is going to be your primary, and that's going to be worth more points than the rest of them. You still have a criteria to score more points from, I believe it's battle line, that uh, are going to be near that objective. But you are going to have to take into account every battle round where that primary is and, and what it is that you're going to do about that. Now, the reason that you, you do want to learn how to play a variable mission is because there are tons of them. A lot of them are you know, variable scoring over the course of you know, the length of a game in terms of you rolling a dice for it. Uh, Star Strike, where they land, when it was rolling the 2d6 and you had that heat map of where it could go. I like that one. Ooh, ooh, it's a good mission. But you got to know what you're doing. Yeah. Like that's not a you know. Here you go, little Timmy. Third game. Hope you like. Hope you can do like statistical uh, sigma charts and you know plot out where things are gonna land. Right. Right. Uh, like mm, <laughs> maybe not. This one, they're fixed where they are. They're all always scoring. But it's just how do you get to the threshold of, of winning enough game of you know getting enough points to win that game. So that's what you're asking your opponent to do in in that mission. Cool, awesome, great. This mission, from a gameplay perspective, where the other two are, you know, kind of forcing you to spread out, right? Where Total Conquest has them in the four corners of the board, and Border War 
has the two that are kind of naturally onto the way to the fourth one that you're interested in. This one, all three of them are right in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that can be an interesting challenge for players where, you know, like I, I keep preaching the movement phase wins you the game, the movement phase wins you the game. But then I give you this mission that there's really no movement outside of, you know, maybe the first battle round in a lot of cases, like the, the line is set. What do you do with that? Are you going to be the kind of player that's just going to set the line and hold and, and, and take the fight as you get it? Or are you going to be a player that is going to be uh, very patient with your, with your movements to try and uh, isolate and remove pieces at a time? Are you going to, you know, pick one point and say, this is the, this is the pinion on which my, you know, my arm will rotate around. And is it the right one? Mm -hmm. You know, you have these objectives that are moving in and around in a not very complicated way, right? It's just, this isn't shifting, uh, this isn't the relocation orb where you have to have a high-end education in calculus to plot out where it was going to go. You know, it's just three on a line. All of them are worth something. One of them's worth more. How are you going to commit your battle line? Are you going to commit them first? Is that what you're going to set the line with? Are you going to go hard charging in? What are you going to do? So you're familiar with some risk reward from the mission before. You're familiar with movement from the mission before. You know, you're familiar with how the game works. But but here you have to uh, do some kind of applied learning. You have You have learned these things in the context of another space. How does it work? in something that is uh, familiar but unexplored. And and that's something that you kind of want their their new player brain to, to hopefully connect those synapses and understand uh, where the value in all those things just occurred in something that looks different. Mm-hmm. So, that's a... Uh, that, I think that's where that one goes. It's... I, I I really would recommend staying away from like the super random ones where you know your your objective value is based on you know dice rolls uh, where star strike as being an early mission to teach now it's very it's very simple to explain how the scoring works but it's difficult for a lot of folks to understand in the early part of their of their gaming venture into this hobby, that the first three turns really don't mean very much. Turns four and five in Star Strike is where, you know, is where you make your money. Now, you can win games in turns one, two, and three. That's totally fine. But game ain't over until, you know, the last battle round, fifteen points are on the board. Mm-hmm. That's Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot. Right. I, I like what uh, Nuke Doctor here is saying, because this is, this is actually, like, close to uh, what my strategy is. Like, you're, you're talking about, like, um, uh, sort of, like, uh, the applied strategy here. Uh, what Nuke Doctor says is shifting is nice, too, because uh, it has a nice alternate, like, victory point strategy uh, in that, like, maybe I can't take the primary, but I can hold two. Yeah. If, if you're holding two with your battle line, you just need it to bounce once. To, to to one of the two you're holding and now and now you're 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 winning that game uh 
So like you can actually like you have like this sort of alternate win win con. You're you're really like this is a puzzle. This is what I really like about this battle plan is it's a puzzle. I see my opponent's army. Are they are they controller? Are they beat down? Right? Like some of my Magic the Gathering terms. Like are they are they going to be the aggressor? Are they playing an aggressive list or are they an aggressive player? Or are they going to be a little bit more of a control player, a little bit more patient, reserved? Like so now I'm trying to get a read on my opponent. Um because depending on if they're like an aggressor, like can I can I jabate them towards the uh, towards the primary and then just try to go scoop to scoop to and hold it? Like you're you're already like it's a, it's a puzzle to solve, and I really enjoy that type of gameplay personally. Um, I I don't and and go ahead. It's a it's a puzzle, right? I I totally agree with that notion. It's a puzzle that, as you look at it, it's very simple, right? The 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 idea of it, very straightforward. But the longer you look at it, the more you realize that there is quite a bit of depth to that puddle. Oh yeah, uh, to that puzzle rather um, than than you had understood on uh, first observation. Right. Right. Um, so, how many when you're teaching somebody? Um, now, obviously, it's, it's going to vary player to player. How many like do you go one, two, three? Okay, I play. You know, I play Border Wars. You know, then I play this, and then I play this. Do you just go one, two, three, line them up? You know, over the course of a couple of weekends, is there an amount of games you you want to get them in ideally before you're like, all right, I release you to the wild, go to your LGS and or tournaments. Like, is is there an amount? Ah, you know, there's there's times where you know, like we'll like we'll play that border war game, and they're like, all right, let's go to tournaments. Like, let's like let's fucking go. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? Cool. Right. Great. Like, you know, we'll, we'll play some games in the lead up to it, but you know, they get, they get the idea what the rules are and they're kind of folks who are oriented towards just like throw me in the deep end. I'll figure it out. Right. Cool. Love those people. But there are also people who like really want to get a firm understanding of, of what everything is. And those are folks who are probably going to come by, you know, every weekend, every other weekend, in better circumstances. Right, right, right. right. Uh, or, you know, we're, we're going to meet up at the store, uh, you know, and, you know, we'll, we'll play some games or, you know, they'll, they'll play some other folks, you know, in the, you know, in the middle time. Cause chances are they're hanging around, you know, they've, they've met a lot of folks. Uh, I have folks stop by my house sometimes and, you know, just hang out kind of thing again in better times. Right. Um, uh, I remember the yester the yester time, the long ago years. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Where, you know, like these people are familiar with each other, and you know, just like we said, kind of more towards the top of this conversation, uh, people that I trust to, uh, you know, be be good teachers and be good stewards of of our group and our community. And but those people, I will kind of walk them through the the different ones, and I'll. I'll make a decision on if I'm going to play the same battle tome every time I see them, right? Cause they're going to be playing the same thing. They might want to see the same army every time there's going to be folks where I adjust, you know, what it is that's in front of them. Every time I give them a, a different puzzle to solve, but that's based on the person that you're, that you're dealing with, um, you know, which will ultimately lead it into the secret fourth battle. Uh, <laughs> but it depends like like what a like what a terrible vague answer that is but but that's the truth of it it's right. 
it's about knowing the person that's, you know, standing on the opposite side of the table from you. And you talk about it all the time where you know, you're spending a lot of time with this person on the other side of the table from you at, you know, at a tournament hall, at your gaming store. Just in the same way that you're introducing them to the community, you know, this is a person that, like, you should probably get to know yeah. to, to a certain degree. Uh, you know, what's important to them. And even if it just remains in the context of the game, yep. that's that's huge and that's important. Now, maybe you walk away and you're going to be best friends and, you know, you're going to stand up in each other's weddings and, uh, you know, that'll be, like, that'll be its own terrific adventure that, that came out of this. Awesome, cool, great. Right. But, like, you're spending time with this person. You're You're not just teaching them the game. This is somebody... In the same way that we were all new to the hobby and someone introduced it to us, uh, whether they were incredibly experienced or just one of your friends that said, hey, I got this cool thing for Christmas, uh, you know, if you want to play it with me, you were new too, and it's important to, to bring them along, the, the bringing them along as a hobbyist. Right on. Right on. Um, yeah, I, I just... I, I mean, this is this is a this is a social game. It's one of the things that makes it, I think, a little bit different than some of the other games out there. I mean, when you're teaching somebody Age of Sigmar, it's almost also rather important that you teach them to be okay with the social aspects of it, not just all the rules too. You know, you're you're having a conversation, you're playing this game, and 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 uh, it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, we have a secret. I mean, there. Go ahead. Oh, before we get to that, there are some awesome stories that I have I have come across in my time in this hobby of you know nerds, right? Because that's that's what we that's what most <laughs> of us are the island of misfit toys that come in, and some of us have better social skills than others. Where there have been guys in, in you know in the different groups that I've been in who, uh, you know, by and large, have had a lot of um, you know I don't want to go as far to say as you know, there being uh, disorders that you're dealing with, but, but people who had at least social anxieties, you know, around the social interactions. And we have, you know, as clubs, uh, you know, put our arms around them and said, you know, like, like we're going we're gonna to help you break this fear that you have in this place where you're comfortable. And, you know, I've watched uh, folks who just, couldn't talk to anybody become mainstays in our club and folks come in, you know, now, now they're the person who's happy to talk about like what you've got in front of you and, and all right, those kinds right. of things. And that is one of those things that we kind of lose when we're talking about the competitive side of this game, right? because you have like these, these small windows and these small snapshots into these people and these groups that you deal with. I mean, think about uh, Isaiah, Isaiah started at 16, uh, you know, going to tournaments, and folks who have been going to tournaments for a while, uh, you know, if you sit back and, and put on your remembering hat, will remember this really shy kid who was really good at Warhammer, but he had a really hard time communicating with, uh, with a lot of folks. Uh, you know, just being 16 years old, man, I, yeah. I remember being that too. You run a lot of adults now, too, right? Like you run a lot of adults. Yeah, I mean that could be pretty. A lot of adults. Just on the face, you, you, yeah. 
he's far and away the the youngest person at, at most events um, up until pretty recently. Yeah. But you know, he's a he's a young man who's in college now, and and when you think about that person from when you know when he got started to where he is now, totally different. And you know, while I can't attribute all of it to uh, this hobby, I. I don't think it would be unreasonable to say that that this community is, you know, is a big part of that. Uh, right. You know, in in bringing people uh, into being more comfortable with themselves. I mean, even I, over the last five years, became more comfortable with myself as a product of of this. Community. Yeah. You know, just of just being who I am. Right. And that is an a butt kicking monster who wants to <laughs> take your soul at the table. Yeah, it's just like. <laughs> I mean, you're also that, but you're not just that. <laughs> no, no, I, I think that's the person I found. <laughs> oh, is that <laughs> right on? Um, right on. Uh, are we ready for our secret hidden fourth battle plan? Secret fourth battle plan. All I right. know we only promised you three, but there's one that comes into this knowing the, knowing the person situation. All right, let's see. Yeah. Not cooperating. There we go. Yeah, he's holding it up on his his camera now. The open war deck. What is this so strange the, artifact you have here? So I don't I don't even know if this is a product you can still buy. Um, TBD. I didn't look it up. But so what this is the open war deck is a way for you to make your own missions. And this is one of the best things you can do if you and your buddies are beer and pretzels guys and optimizing your armies like really isn't your prerogative and you want every game to feel totally different. Because the 18 battle plans out of the mission, or the 18 missions out of the, the General's Handbook, I'm not going to lie to you. They're, you play them a couple times. They're really the same game over and over. And chances are you're playing with the same couple of people who are playing kind of the same couple of armies, you know, some total, right? Because most people in this game are not uh, super collectors where they own one of everything from every army that they have and can play whatever they want. Most people are few and far between. What you have, though, with the open war cards is you have... Well, first off, a bunch of cards. <laughs> Who doesn't love a good physical product? Yeah. But what this does is you you have a couple of different things that you you do with it. And there's a couple of things in it that I would recommend staying away from because they're stupid. But you can play the game however you want. It's up to you. First one is deployment cards. Now, what you have with this is just a number of different kind of deployments and some are going to look super familiar and some are going to look super weird and you know what that's okay yeah you're looking at your various configuration for those of you on pure audio you're looking at your various configurations of rectangles and then every now and then like an arrowhead or a sphere yeah, look at this one a circle in the middle with triangles on the side that's pretty cool yeah uh you know but again the the caution i would put here is, is this is you and your buddies are super chill the the competitive side of it is not 
terribly important to really to either. Yeah, there's a Chevron than... deployment there. I see. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a Chevron where one side is the triangle and then the other side is the negative space. Right. Uh, you know, here's here's a nice old one with a circle cut into some rectangles. <laughs> uh, oh, surrounded on both sides. Right. So so looking at these, Meph. Right. You would agree that these are pretty unusual. Yeah. So you can take these deployments and overlay the like the actual rules for objectives over the top of it. That's fair game. If you don't feel like doing that, they give you these objective cards. And you can have a couple of them out on the battlefield. And some of them are like real simple because these were, gosh, these were pre-points in many cases. Mm -hmm. uh, so you get things like drawn and quartered. Each player scores one victory point at the end of their turn for every objective they control. The player with the most victory points at the end of the fifth battle round wins. But in order to do that, when you get started, both players roll a dice, starting with the player who rolled the highest. Then take it in turns to set up two objectives each anywhere more than 12 inches from the center of the battlefield, more than 6 inches from the edge of the battlefield, and more than 18 from other objectives. You're putting those objectives down yourself. You could do whatever you want. Right. Uh these form the basis of a lot of the uh, narrative games that uh, that like we set up as events or just within our group. When we play big, huge, stupid games, <laughs> these typically form so when the, you, the basis of what it is. When you and Bryce do the the twenty thousand point mega battle, uh, are we going to see the open war but, deck? But we very well might. Like there is, there's just things in here that are good, right? Each player adds up the value of the wounds characteristics of all enemy models that their army slays during the battle, doubling the value of any models that have the hero or keyword, uh, hero or monster keyword. At the end of the fifth battle round, the player with the highest total wins the battle. Now, what you can do is you can assign these things to be different values, and you can play with three out on the table. Fine. Cool. Do with that what you will. Oh, but that's not all, Mephisto. <laughs> I like you this. Have, like a sales pitch for a uh, product that you can't buy anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, make your own, man. Like, if it's a product you can't buy anymore, I'm sure that there's just like a PDF of it. I'm somewhere. sure there's some uh, some some means the internet can help you with to get these. Also, uh, Nuke Doctor saying is that there's an open war generator in GHB20. There you go. But that would require you to look at something that's not the points in the General's Handbook, and I'm not quite sure why Sean knows that. <laughs> uh, then you have the twist cards, and basically what this is is you and your you and your buddy have played every deployment and every objective, and you wanna you wanna spice things up in your games. So what they are is they just they change what it is that's going on. So. Uh, one of them here, Wrath of the Gods. Each player can roll three dice at the start of their hero phase. For each roll of a six, they can pick a separate enemy unit and inflict D3 mortal wounds on it. It's just like weird battlefield effects. Uh, some of them are uh, a meeting battle. Half your army gets set up, half of it's in reserve. And it comes on you know, one of one of your table edges in you know at the end of the first battle round or second battle round or whatever. Uh, here's a, Here's a fun one. Double or nothing. Roll a dice. On a roll of one to three, no, no twist cards are used for this battle. On a four to six, draw two more twist cards and apply both. Oh my. <laughs> right, it's... Here's, here's a real simple one. Add one to all casting and binding rolls. However, if any of the results are a double, 
they suffer uh, a mortal wound. If it was a double one, they suffer D3. Yeah. Okay. You know, nothing too crazy about that. Just some extra rules you can throw on top. Uh, the next thing you have are ruses. And this is where we get into the category of, like, you really probably shouldn't be playing with these. Uh, you can, but these, the more you look at them, the more age they show in, in the kind of... Uh, uh, gameplay that you're looking at, like, play this card in your hero phase to set one terrain feature within three inches of a friendly model on fire. For the rest of the battle, any model's friend or foe that end their movement phase, either in or on the terrain feature, are slain. <laughs> well. <laughs> well. Okay. I, I, there's, um, how do I put this? There's, there is some value in learning a, to be adaptive to like the truly wacky of Warhammer. Um Nuke Doctor saying we use the twist and rouse deck at Holy Wars one year. <laughs> Some of them are mental. <laughs> yeah, like uh Revenge. Play this card if your general is slain. Which if you have this card, you will be doing. Uh for the rest of the battle you can add one to the wound rolls made for all of the models in your army. <laughs> There you go. Here you go. You can kill my general. Sounds good. He was a 90-point uh, Nighthaunt model. Now, all of my Nighthaunt models wound on twos. <laughs> it's it's funny because, um, I mean, you're already talking about a game where uh, it, the the competitive balance is, you know, a lot of parity and in, in, in battle plans is what we look for. We want parity for that competitive balance because... You know, the rules are made up and the points don't matter on some some level, eventually, of, of Age of Sigmar, right? Like, uh, so you're, you're looking to those battle plans for, like, the context of the parody. Um, by being random and really... If, if I was talking about a tournament pack, I would never use these. Oh, never. Never, ever, never. And we have one that's even worse <laughs> in just a second, but yes. Uh, in terms of, like... A game that I'm playing with my friends to learn Warhammer, to test my metal, to, you know, to puzzle solve. I love solving puzzles. Like, I would do this. I have a love-hate relationship with something like Relocation Orb. Like, I hate Relocation Orb in a tournament pack. I love it with just playing it with a friend. Because, like, you're like, okay, now I need to figure out a way to get my entire army over there. Over there. And just like, well, what does that even look like? Can I even do this? Like, you know, like the the having to be in those like situations that you usually can't plan for. You just have to find yourself in a strange situation or a difficult situation to learn how to adapt or know, you know, how to deal with the stress and how to like overcome those situations. Um, like it's it's I don't know. Like I I think there's value in that. Because, again, eventually you play enough battle plans, you're like, okay, I know what this is. But there's no way to really prepare you for all the random situations you may find yourself in at a tournament uh, down the line. You just have to end up in weird situations. And having something that kind of forces weird situations, I think, has value. Uh, Nuke Doctor Singh, same. I lost every tournament game of Orb that I played. <laughs> I think it's his love-hate. <laughs> um, anyway, you said you got to... Oh, there's more. I see Nagash is just yeah. there. 
So these are the sudden death cards, and and these are the ones that uh, I would recommend you kind of stay away from. I believe the original means of applying sudden death cards was if your opponent had double the number of models as you. And again, we're talking like this is old Sigmar stuff. But, you know, something that might be kind of cool is you and your opponent gamble how many points uh, you're going to bring to the game. And the player that has less, if it's, you know, 500, 1,000 points less, you know, whatever, they'll get it, like, maybe then you give them a sudden death card, you know, really outnumber them kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because there's things like assassinate. Play this card if you slay the enemy hero or monster that has the highest wounds characteristics of any enemy model that is currently on the battlefield. If you do so you immediately win the game. <laughs> you know, in a, like separate from the objective cards we just talked about. Right. Um, you know, play this card if you... Uh, endure. Play this card if you have at least one model still on the battlefield at the end of the fifth battle round. Okay. You know, if you're playing a thousand points down and you still have a model at the end of the game, man, you deserve to win. <laughs> <laughs> so... This is a really, this is a really cool tool. Uh, if you can still buy it, if not, you know, gay internet. Uh, General's Handbook has, uh, as you pointed out, a kind of a means of doing this. This is really great for your folks who are way more interested in uh, having cool armies, playing cool games, not super worried about optimizing your list, but wanting to play games. And you know, and feeling like they're gonna be they're gonna be different. The tournament grinder life is very much totally its own uh, entity, and you gotta be you know wired towards that to, to really be able to enjoy every game mm-hmm. uh, playing from a very strict uh, mission set. Right, right. Uh, Nuke Doctor, those cards are so OG they don't even have major slash minor win language. I think I think Brendan ah, just it's wanted ju- to. It's just outright. I I think Brendan uh, busted uh, busted out the cards because he just wanted to flex on everybody. That's all this. This was just <laughs> <laughs> like, like what wedge in how OG he is into the topic. Like, oh, look at these cards. <laughs> well, it's. So much of that is some of my absolute fondest memories of this game are in that pre-points era of Age of Sigmar, where we had to figure out uh, what a what a fair, reasonable game looked like. Mm-hmm. You know, because we're all coming from Warhammer Fantasy Battles, and, and points are the are the currency that we built this construct on. And you know, we realized that you know War Scrolls really isn't equivalent and wounds isn't you know isn't necessarily the best like some combination thereof you know ended up kind of being the right you know the right way to look at it you know because you could just run 120 goblins there was no there's no cap you're just like this is my one war scroll of goblins and i took 90 of them yeah okay well i brought ark in the black and he can summon a unit every turn for free and so i'm going to summon five units of morgas uh, because, yeah, I can't cast the same spell, but I have three casting attempts, and I can summon one kind of Morgast, and then the other kind of Morgast, and then I'm going to try and summon a Morngul. And you're like, cool. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> uh, 
but some of the best games I have I have ever played of Age of Sigmar are are where you and your opponent, back to the turn zero idea, really negotiated out what that game was going to look like. You know, you you drew up an open war game, and you just played. And there was a game, you know, back when you know you were deciding things on like how many wounds you were able to pull off the board. I I won a game with one wound on one ogre boy left and that was it and it came down to a single dice roll at the end and i want to say it was like a d6 damage and you got to roll a four up to kill him and you roll a three and that's it that the whole game came down to that one dice roll at the end if he doesn't roll a four up he loses by one wound Hmm. like (laughs) well i i think go ahead finish your thought just super fond memories and having having to be creative in that space uh i think really really pushes people to to kind of ask themselves how they're going to enjoy this hobby with their friends and how they're gonna you know people how to do this yeah i i think we, we... Uh, first off, shout outs to the buck, uh, the box glass you're rocking there. Uh, but thank you. It was on sale <laughs> in traditional Midwest fashion. I have to tell you that I got it at a discount. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think, um, you know, we both have a little bit of a competitive lean, uh, to how we view the game. And when we talk about teaching, I think we probably have a mind toward, uh, like a competitive play inevitable eventuality i think or at least not necessarily like tournament grinder going for top tables but but i'm probably people want to win yeah people want to win and i'm probably if i'm teaching somebody like i'm already telling them tournaments are great and like i'm probably thinking down the line i might end up teaching that person to prep for a tournament too right like because that's that's a little bit different style from just teaching age of sigmar that's another whole other episode yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, that's that's a different thing, and and talked with Jake uh, uh, last week from Detroit Warhammer a little bit about that actually. So, but but this is just teaching someone Age of Sigmar, and I do think at that like sort of holistic, sort of basic get you into Age of Sigmar level. Part of the teaching isn't just hey, here's the rules and here's what the game does. I think part of teaching is impart is like sort of imparting joy on the person. Like you're you're sort of like you're passing on that that joy that you feel in the game. And you're you're showing them ways to like have that and engage with that too, which is why I kind of like that you busted out the deck there at the end, um, because it it's just plot twist. Yeah, well, there's just there's something about that one. You know, we all have those memories, these like sort of standout things, and it could be in a tournament setting. It could be like you know, oh man, I was playing for the win, you know. But there's always these like this wacky situation, you know. I, I remember, you know, shaking hands with Kyle just to kind of reset, t- talking, I was already talking about him tonight, and we, like, broke the tower, you know, like, just shaking, ha- our handshake was so mighty, we had had this, like, a, like, you know, I think there was a photo, it was, like, what, eight more gas on the table, because I had to, because I couldn't get my ten uh, Black Knights uh, tabletop ready in time, so I had to grab what I had, which was two more gas. <laughs> um, and, uh... You know, like, I think you commented on that photo, like, in retrospective, like, this is the most Morgas I've seen on the table, like, at one time. And he's like, oh, I've ran. He's like, I've run more than six. And you're like, no, 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 Mephisto's two are right there. <laughs> like, <laughs> checkmate. There's just, 
it's stuff like that where like you know part of the joy of aos it, it is that community it is that camaraderie it's those wacky situations it's, we play a dice game an imperfect glorious dice game you know and uh i talk about the sharp edges you know f- flaws as features um you gotta experience some of that stuff you gotta Im- i think learn to enjoy some of that or you're gonna have a really long slog in, in aos you know but i i don't think there's any reason that you have to that like you have to go the long way to anything nowadays right like oh. there like there is to take this train in a totally different direction um you can absolutely curate your hobby experience nowadays there is a there is a podcast for everyone and everything uh in every way shape and form there are you know youtubers and twitch streamers and podcasters and bloggers and you know people on twitter where if you just want to see cool models being painted man we'll hook you up with an instagram account like like that is where that is where the best pictures of models go mm-hmm. if you want to hang out in the uh tournament grinder circuit i'll tell you who people like which of these people to follow on twitter and who to go listen to on podbean and you know off you go if you want a real middle of the road experience you know pick and grab these folks that uh you know that are worth following and and you're going to listen to this and you're going to want to do that and you can go as wide as you want or stay as narrow as you want uh, there's something for everybody at this point in time which is as you think about like the younger versions of ourselves totally un like unthinkable like there was you know there was the daka daka boards and like like that was it like that was that was the forum I was on Bolter and I was on Bolter and Chainsaw and we had things to say about you Daka Daka folk. Whatever. <laughs> I... I think I was I was some version of, of Mephisto on there too. I was I might have been more Mephiston or something like that, but yeah. No, I was I was on uh I was on there and the raw versus ride debates that I laugh at now. I just laugh at because you know, the the place I was talking from was someone who played with hard-nosed that guys who were out that guying each other in a competitive 40k local game store where, like, our best one went off to the tournaments, you know, and then came back and told us tales of his conquest, but how he ultimately lost in the last round, right? Like, um, sure. yeah, you know, like, that that was the thing. And yeah, so, like, we, we call those mid-table heroes. <laughs> Right, right. Um, but, like, I, you know, my heart was, like, really never in 40K, like, super hard. And, uh, you know, coming back around to it later, I didn't have, in those forum days, you didn't really have that broader community. You had your, your local scene, and that was kind of it. There might have been a couple, you, man, I don't even remember being on YouTube in that time period. Casting my mind back, like, There were, there four- were definitely people who, who, like, did warhammer battle reports man i'm gonna date myself uh did you ever watch fritz uh him and there was a fritz and jowl balls were, were like the quintessential 40k content creators fritz was on his necrons and his eldar and jowl balls was always painting blood angels and he had a he had a hobby blog and this and sounds my familiar buddy now. played blood angels this sounds yeah. familiar now. but like 
like that was it. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was them. It was blue table painting. It was mini war gaming, and like, and the list. Like those are the four people that like that were doing this at like any kind of scale. I'm sure there were more, right? But like, yeah, man, like it feels like you can't. Like once you make that Google search and you start watching stuff, like it feels like it's just an ocean mm-hmm. of of content. There, there's no reason that you have to take the long road to anything right now. If you want to become a lore expert, man, they got they got shows for you. Like right. where you can just sit and spend all day listening to Doug from Two Plus Tough tell you about the words in the books and <laughs> like, and, the, and the setting, right? Like, <laughs> Right, right. Or I, I got a shout out to 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 Mars, uh, Takeover Mars in 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 Chat Gang, who started kind of a lore channel, uh, where he he's just like playing Vermintide and like total total Warhammer in the background while reading like these excerpts from books that he f- finds cool. And I'm like, this is the most. Isn't that just Warhammer? Like it's just like this is pure Warhammer. <laughs> like this is just. You know, that's that that's that doom and darkness in his truck telling me on his cell phone video, I just can't stop thinking about Age of Sigmar. That for me is always kinda like this that's that for me is always kinda like the sweet spot of Warhammer. Like you can't stop thinking about it so hard that you like you're you're reading it while you're you playing video. A video in your truck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like you're like I'm playing video games and I'm like, but I need to like I need to read the Warhammer. It just for me, that's I love that, and and you're you're one hundred percent right. There's there's so much content out there. You can really curate your experience, and um, I think you know, man, learning Warhammer is just the the start of a really great journey. Um, the only thing I really have to add is 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 to those of you that are looking to teach people to play. You know, look to look to be that ambassador, not so much the gatekeeper. I think that that's a very important distinction uh brendan any final thoughts anything you want to shout out put on blast i mean obviously cubic shenanigans everyone like that's how you're going to actually get your battle tome reviews i don't do them really i just send you over to like to like brendan and uh like a couple of other folks out there um but uh yeah anything any final soapbox moments anything you you get to get off your chest here before we get out of here uh, i'll do the cubic shenanigans pitch uh real quick you know we are a warhammer podcast uh, we do primarily Age of Sigmar. We do talk 40k from time to time. Uh, we will delve into box games periodically, uh, but I would put it at 80% of our content is Age of Sigmar. It's what I'm most passionate about. Uh, and Dan, the the main host, has become pretty passionate about when the show started. It was uh, I was just going to be kind of a, a support function every once in a while. They were going to talk about Age of Sigmar. And like all things I get my hands on, it becomes uh, the main focus of, of what it is that we're doing. So uh, Dan is a former educator and I am in my uh, professional life all about, you know, explaining things to people and getting them on board and, and getting them trained to do, uh, you know, very specific and sometimes complicated tasks. So we are oriented towards uh, primarily looking at a battle tome and explaining to you what they mean in the context of each other and kind of like how you can start taking these war scrolls for what they are. Uh, I think, you know, in terms of recent stuff, our Daughters of Cain battle tome review, I thought was 
uh, excellent. Uh, the Heat Knights of Slanesh one was a little bit tougher for us to do. I do think we found some bright spots and some things for uh, for people to shine their light on and, and be interested. You in. You just couldn't get it. Always... You just couldn't get that one out before I went on Warhammer Weekly, could you? You had to wait until the week after. I was just I was just gonna like take everything you said and just say it in my own Mephisto way. <laughs> I actually you, you say that like I didn't listen to yours and go okay yeah that's a good point. Uh... <laughs> oh, I it's it's weird because I was good. I went into that episode. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about this now. I went into that episode and I was going to like I had a bit I was gonna do is anytime I was about to feel bad about something I was just gonna talk about how great the model looked and just let and let. Uh, uh, Vince talked the whole time. That was my plan. But Tom, when we're in the pre-show, like Tom was already worn out. You know, he has like a million kids and like a whole life. You know, and so he was just like he was already sure. like, man, I'm tired. You know, and I'm just like, okay, Tom, so you're not gonna help me out this time, buddy. All right, cool. Now you, I have to you talk. Had to, you had yeah. to pull that cart. Yeah, I had to do that. No, no, uh, you're, you're right. You're you're. I really I love your show. You guys do a great job of teaching. It's it's it is. Uh, even if I didn't know you, it'd still be one of my favorites because it's. The way you guys do it, like you said, you have your teaching background. And I cut you off mid-Slanesh. You said Slanesh was a slog. Um, but Yeah, yeah that, that one was a little bit tougher for us. Obviously, you know, some folks who have been around uh, these different podcast you know, grinds as they were, right? Like, all the, all the same shows with the same content come out at the same time. Like, that's just the way it is. Um, there's a lot of negativity around it. Uh, I think some of it's deserved. I think some of it is unwarranted. Uh, you will find that I, I consistently try to be, uh, level-headed and look for the, uh, the way to, you know, get the most miles out of something. Because one of the things that, um, you know, that I've talked about with UMF is that the books are, there's always going to be someone who's super jacked up about it, regardless of how competitive it is or isn't. And mm -hmm. there's going to be somebody who loves that book and they're going to sit down and be like, I love this book. How far can I take it? And hopefully we kind of push people in that direction. Uh, I obviously am on the much more competitive end of things. And Dan is uh, much more oriented towards the fun end of things. Uh, he's taken a lot. I like that. I like that you make it like a continuum. Like it's it's <laughs> like it's just it's, it's this is a linear scale. You're either fun or you're competitive. There's no like. <laughs> well, I mean, there is a certain orientation. To I it. I know. I know. It's yeah. Uh, there, I have been accused of not being particularly fun to play in a lot of instances. Right. Um, and you know what? I don't care. So. <laughs> I love, we just like undermine two hours of a podcast about teaching people to enjoy the game and play battle plans that'll help them enjoy the game. And yeah, but the difference is, is I'm very unfun to play when I'm, you know, when I'm in the, in those kind of trophy rounds, when I'm sitting down and I'm teaching and, you know, like we're playing that game, cool man, whatever. But when Sean and I are, you know, knuckles down, staring at each other across that table, that beat of stress sweat coming down. And I, I was talking about this on Twitter, um, like, two weeks ago or something. I mean, Sean and I barely spoke to each other over the course of the game. Sean's a friend. Like, you know, that's, <laughs> uh, he's a dude I love playing, you know. But it was a lot of, hmm, interesting. Okay. And then, you know, like, we would do something and be like, hmm, okay. And, and, like, that was most of the game. And, you know, we'd talk about stuff here and there, but... 
you know, you'd look to the table to the left and everyone's, you know, <laughs> hanging out and enjoying, you know, some of their last beers of the weekend. And we're just, mm. <laughs> yes. mm. and if you're not oriented in that way, in terms of like, that's how you enjoy the game. That's true. Uh, I am not fun at all to play in that regards. And, uh, you know, cause you're staring at a brick wall of somebody who wants to do the winning and if you want to be my best friend at a tournament, man, I got bad news for you. <laughs> the table is not the place to meet me. Uh, <laughs> uh, Nuke Doctor's like, for the record, that game was fun. <laughs> I thought so, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a different uh, gear. It is a different gear. I, 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 see, I can shift gears. Like I, I, had, I, I talk about this with, with uh, Tobin Prime. How like he wants to play that like very methodical thing and like the banter cuts to a little bit of a minimum and then it's just like looking at the puzzle on the table and then solving it and that's a little bit of a different uh, that's a little bit of a different experience you get a different version of meth if that's like what ends up happening at the table I can change that gear not everybody can I'm not saying this makes me awesome because like my gear shift doesn't go all the way up to the sixth gear yet of competitive play but I can switch into like the fifth gear right like. So I can do that, but usually I'm I'm in that like fourth gear, like just I'm I'm getting away from my family, like you know my ki- I'm having beers and I'm playing Warhammer and uh you know sure sometimes I sometimes I win yeah sometimes I win trophies like hammers you know and growlers <laughs> I know I know you got the double dragon man I can't I can't throw shade um but uh, uh but yeah so. So in terms of closing thoughts, you know, one, uh, check out Cubic Shenanigans. I'd, I'd love if you listened. Uh, we were really lucky in that uh, we had a huge content listenership increase over the course of the pandemic for a reason that we cannot explain. Yeah, rub it rub it in, buddy. All my stuff is down. <laughs> I still haven't recovered from my pre-pandemic numbers. If I had an answer for you, I, like, I would I give don't it know. to you. We... We made stuff up, like over the like. Dan and I would sit down and be like, "Okay, well, what are we going to talk about?" And like, uh, battle line units, uh, <laughs> and and you know, and that's some of the spots we were in. Uh, so, in terms of what I want to plug, it's that. Uh, as far as the rest of it goes, uh, you know, love your hobby. You know, be cool to everybody. Uh, you know, be. Be, be the ambassador, like you were talking about. The this this hobby doesn't grow. It doesn't it doesn't become this huge, awesome, sprawling thing on its own. It requires individual inputs, and when everybody's doing that thing, that's when you that's when you really start seeing things take off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, General's Handbook came out, and thirty person events were huge and awesome and exciting. And, you know, pre-pandemic, we're talking about, you know, Adepticon team was, you know, approaching 400, right? Like, yeah, that's, uh, but that's the result of a lot of individual efforts. Yeah. Uh, and as Meth was saying at the, at the front end of this, uh, we're going to see a lot of new people after, you know, once we're allowed to go yeah. out and see. Oh, it's going to be floodgates. They're going to, the floodgates are going to open. There's people have just been hobbying for like, an entire calendar year, they want to play games. They are going to want yeah. to play. 
Um, I and, and what happens to this hobby is a direct result of what each of you as individuals choose to do. Uh, a lot of folks are going to be new, and so I would I would hope that you take to heart some of the things that we talked about here on ways to introduce folks uh, to the game side of this. Right on, right on, man. Well, I. I love you, brother. Thank you so much for being on. This is, uh, it, it's been too long since our last, uh, like Mef and, uh, Mef and Brendan hangout show. So, so I was happy we got to talk about something I think that's going to be of a little bit more substance, uh, too. So, so instead of just gushing over how much we both love death armies, <laughs> for like just two yeah, solid we, hours. We do, I'm sure we'll do that when the vampires come out and, you know, we'll do one of those three hour shows where, uh, like when we had the previews for Bone Reapers and we were like, okay, so I saw a very blurry picture. It looks like this spell casts on a six. Right. Uh, <laughs> that, oh man. Oh man. It's, it, that, that stuff's just fun. That stuff is, it's just fun to do. All right, chat gang. Thank you so much for, uh, for hanging out with us tonight. You are the show within the show. The reason we do this thing. Snit bag dropping a thousand RDP to remind everyone that chat gang ain't none to fuck with. You know it. Be excellent to yourselves. Be excellent to each other. And drink your milk. Pay your taxes. We will catch you next time, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night, Brendan.